Welcome back to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today, we have Full House, Mr. Martin Theobald. Hello. And Mr. Terry Chapandama. Hi. Are we on a swear-free week this week? Is that happening then? Right, so Terry sort of (coughs) mentioned that as he came in. So what I'll do is I'll just, at the very least, I'll notch you down swear word per swear word as some sort of anti-contest, if you like. We'll donate 10p to Battersea Dogs Home, because um, I've heard... As Ginger Gallagher's name. There's a boxing trainer that has been threatening some of the participants that live down there. Um, <laughs> I mean, the only... He's like, leave my brothel alone. I didn't think, <laughs> but, I didn't think they'd have to install an STI clinic at the best or a sexual trauma centre. <laughs> well, Can you imagine well. you're there, like the anti-terror police are there with the dogs going, <clears throat> but this has human origin. How <laughs> oh. <laughs> have we started this badly? <laughs> this wait, dog wait, is actually I think, 60% I think you human what we did to DNA. Joy Phelps last week. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I have a feeling she's heard or heard about it because <laughs> her tweets have been quite defiant at people who take shots at it. Have they? But just to let her know, you're a tramp. Get over it. <laughs> Just to carry on from where we left off. <laughs> Not in a conservatory mood this week, then, Do you know what? I might meet her one day, and all this will just be humiliating. Imagine she had a picture of her and I in the bedroom, and went, look at this idiot. <laughs> all that slagging off, and he fell under the spell, too. <laughs> okay, so um, we have... A few things to talk about this week. I think the first, the first one. How was your weekend, Andy? Amusing. How was your weekend? You look a bit weight drained, a bit gaunt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you been and... drained? Just the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. from uh... the pipe. <laughs> from... Where have you got this from? You just assumed. <laughs> yeah, the eye test. It's the eye test. <laughs> um, I'm not talking about that. Uh, That's a shame. To some extent, you've thrown me off course, but I'm looking forward to our first topic of discussion because I can imagine there's going to be this is going to be hard not to swear on. Um, Scott Quigg, brilliant fighter, brilliant man, <laughs> educated, um... brilliant fighter, brilliant man, no, look, look, disciplined. Honest, I'm going to say this for all the times we call this guy a village idiot, slightly retarded, and quite possibly the most basic boxer. That was a good fight. Like, from start to finish, it was a good fight. And he took a bit of a beating, but he stuck in there. Yeah. It, look, in a climate where people are quitting. Yes. Scott Quigg showed that sometimes you just got to take your licks for the 12 rounds. Um, I think Chris Eubank would notch that up in one of the, in, in the Warrior Code box. But you could see what Roach has done to him. Where... Where Gallagher tried to make him defensively sound, I think Roach has realised he doesn't get any of that. That's beyond his intelligence. So, so you yeah, ba- flashbacks to that Cotto video, <laughs> <laughs> telling him to do the hooks to the body, <laughs> had to show him from scratch. <laughs> so, so all Roach has done is said, "You're just going to attack. Yeah, you're going to take a few shots, but 
that's all you can do. That's all you're really equipped for. So he's, if you see what he's done with Quick, he's layered on the cross-handed guard, which Gallagher never gave him. And I think the cross-handed guard probably stopped him getting knocked out, if we're being honest. So there'd be times where he'd feel under pressure and he'd bring his left elbow kind of in front of his chin. So he'd, he'd almost like he's hugging his own face. And he'd have his right hand able to either catch or counter. So, so there's some clever things. There's a lot more head movement in Scott Quigg than there was under Gallagher. Uh, you know, he's being a bit braver with the punches. I thought he was very wild with that left hook, though. There are a couple of times where he just went into the ropes, which was not good. But how good is Oscar Valdez? Wow. I mean, there's no shame in losing to Valdez. Um, I think... It's a real pity. I mean, we've kind of skipped over the entire issue of weight, missing weight. So Scott Quigg came in 2.6 pounds over the featherweight limit for this fight. What does that mean? Okay. So I mean, clearly he's heavier than the li- limit. But what, do, what, so, what are the repercussions of that? All right. So the um, state commission there only allow you to try and re-weigh. So normally if you come like over so, here. So there? In America. Right. Fuck. Okay. Sorry, I didn't um, so over here, Remember, right, if, cash, you were, if you were two point six pounds over here, then there's a very good chance the board would say to you, "Come back in an hour, reweigh, and see what you come in at." Whereas over there, you had, um, I think the weight limit is two pounds over uh, the featherweight, and if you were under two pounds over, then you're allowed to come back and try and reweigh. But he was two point six pounds over, so they said no. Um, so at that point, Valdez can either say, I'm not fighting him, or um, I think they just deducted some of his purse off in the end. I think it was like £40,000 he got taken off of his purse. So he actually owes money now. <laughs> I'd imagine so, yeah. He's got to pay for that beating. <laughs> um, and then Quig refused to do the second day weigh-in. I say second day, but on the day weigh-in. So they asked, like, okay, you've missed it by this amount weigh in the next day and let's see what you weigh then and he said nah nah like i think they realized scott quigg by all accounts again whether this is hern and quigg selling the story whether it's unprofessionalism people can probably make their own mind up what we're told is scott quigg uh had a stress fracture to his ankle in the camp which is why he was 2.6 pounds over now I don't what? necessarily buy that because he was 2.6 pounds over. And then they said, like, this is standard for Scott. He comes in, like, 24 hours before he'll be 2.6 pounds over and then lose that 2.6 pounds, like, in the, the run-up the day before the weigh-in, 24 hours before. But this time he didn't do that. What? Um, wait, 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 wait. So this stress fracture of the ankle story, I'm not entirely well, buying it. If you've got a stress fracture of your ankle, the first thing you're going to say, and Freddie Roach is an experienced trainer, Right. You're going to say, right, what, what we normally do, we're going to have to accelerate. I want to know, I want to know we're 2.8 pounds over on Wednesday. Why? Gives us a window to chop it down. Because he, he would, you, know I mean? you know from the way the weight's dropping, because you weigh yourself probably in the morning and in the evening. So you're tracking where the weight is. And you're like, well, he's not very mobile. So how are we going to lose it if we get to a day? Yeah. There should have been a plan for it. And you get on the spin bike in a sweatsuit. Yeah. Hearn's, Hearn's not a guy that leaves these things to chance. I think you can imagine what was said was, look, he's probably going to miss weight. Here's a bit of dough. Sorry. Yeah. The Paul Smith approach. Yeah. Uh. I think the thing that sort of struck alarm bells for me, just I, mean, I appreciate we're sort of going, not specifically about this fight, but it's the fact that if you're coming overweight, they say, come back in 
X amount of, as you say, two hours. Yeah. Right. So, so what they're saying is go and dehydrate yourself. And then if you, you know, right. So great. So then I can come in underway. And then I'm, all I'm going to do is smash all that back inside me again. What, so what are they trying in... to do there? Like, because the only thing I could think is if you are so dehydrated that you can't, then they've gone, aha, that's not just water you're carrying. That's the only thing that can be there for. So, right, he should he should have been 126 pounds. Right. He's 2.6 over. That's a huge percentage for that weight right, category. Yeah, yeah. You're nearly into the next weight class. Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> we'll touch on it in a bit, I think, but <clears throat> he weighed in, like, in, in the ring, he stepped in at 142 pounds. That's welterweight. <laughs> so, like, he's not only gone, right, I'm going to come in, like, two and a half pounds over. I'm then going to really take the mickey uh, rather than any swear words because I don't want to go against the grain this week. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not sure my radar is strong enough to actually pick up on any swear words that we've had so far. <laughs> no, we, we've gone... <laughs> I think we've been all right. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's gone, right. Well, I've missed that end of the spectrum. So let's take it to the other end, which is fine. Apart from... <laughs> what happened if Oscar Valdez got absolutely like detonated on by a 142-pound man in that ring? What would have happened if Valdez ended up getting stretched out of there? Ends up, like, damaged in some way on the back of it. Then everybody says, well, that fight should never have gone ahead because he's fighting a man who shouldn't necessarily have been in the ring with him. So, this is what I'm going to say, and we're going to touch on it when we talk about Canelo. The overriding cultural expectation in boxing is that the fight must go on. So, I was talking to someone who went for their seconds license. And the question was... What is that? What does that mean? So seconds is the other guy in the corner who's not the trainer or the cut man. Right. He normally puts the stool in. And you he does a lot more. For that. <laughs> not to put a stool in, but all the other things that, that go around this. Right, There's a whole okay. process. So you do. And it's not unusual for trainers themselves to be seconds. So, you know, like in the Mayweather corner, everyone in there is pretty much a trainer, but they're seconds. Many people are seconds. Most promoters are seconds. Yeah. But certainly in the small hall scene... Because then if some like if you get a Hungarian fly over, uh, then you have to kind of cobble together a bit of a corner team for him. You'll often see a promoter or a manager just rock up in the corner just to like hold the bandages, hold a bucket or whatever. Yeah. So they're there they at the top level they have more of a purpose than at the bottom level. Yeah. Right. And also in the event that let's say something happened to your second, it's always good to have someone floating around as well. But so in the test, it was, what do you do if your fighter comes in three pounds over? And most people said, pull my fighter out for safety reasons, right? But the officially sanctioned response to that is the fight goes on. Well, subject to checking records and discussions between promoters, which isn't probably the right thing to be saying, especially in the climate that we're in now. But I guess, you know, when you've got gray hair and you once wore a tracksuit, that's what you believe. Uh, can I just, just sorry to cut you off again, but how much did Valdez come in at? On the on the night, no idea, but I would imagine he's adding about ten pounds. Just looking at his friend, so there's a discrepancy of somewhere in the region of ten to twelve, six, pounds six to ten pounds. I'd imagine would be the difference. Them. But think about it from a quick perspective. You failed to make weight. You haven't had to try again to make weight, so you failed at four o'clock on Friday. So by seven o'clock, you're up to about one hundred thirty, one hundred thirty-one. You've given in by this point. Like you yeah. might as well head down Nando's and, and yeah. fill up. So now, so by the time you go to bed, maybe you're 134, 135. Get up in the morning, have a nice little breakfast. By fight night, you're up to 142. Had he been forced to make the weight, he wouldn't have come in at 142. 
What what would that have meant for Valdez in terms of his ability to take Quig out? Don't know. But something has to be done about this. Because here you here you have what's right and what's fair. Don't have the fight. Yes. But then you have the reality of we've already sunk our money. We've got TV deals. We've got people waiting to show this. Therefore, the show must go on. And I guess that's what makes this different. Because if something, let's say a footballer get, gets found to have some kind of amphetamine inside of him, you can pull him out, right? And that immediately removes the threat without the game being in jeopardy. You can put someone else in. I guess with boxing, you pull you pull the main event out, the whole card collapses. But so as boxing fans, I think our question should be, are we principled or pragmatic? I know of a televised event that wasn't that long back um, where one of the live fights that was on, um, the away fighter in that came in heavily overweight and there were some very uh, heated discussions, I believe, where the TV company were like, if that fight's not on there, then there is no show. Like, we'll just pull the entire thing. And so the home fighter at that point has all the pressure on them to be like, look, it's up to you ultimately. If you want to fight, you fight. If you don't fancy it, then don't. Yeah. But, you know, if they if they say no, that entire show gets pulled from TV and the TV will just show reruns of, I don't know, Prison Cannibal Run or whatever. Um so yeah, it's like it's down to ultimately the individual, and there's an awful lot of pressure that they'll be getting on them from their teams, their promoters, their managers, all that side of it to go in because everyone eats off that. Yeah, and if they don't go in, they don't get paid necessarily. Although he probably would, it'd probably be Quig that ends up getting heavily penalised for it. But um, you know, you think back to Lee Haskins when he won his belt on the Canelo undercard, but he got handed over to him because Cav- uh, Randy Caballero missed the weight so badly. Um, but that fight got canned because it was so bad. Um, but f- you know, like for four this pounds one, over or something, ridiculous. yeah, bantamweight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he came in at super. It's like, did someone tell me what? <laughs> whoa, whoa, I didn't get a memo. <laughs> it's an 122. I'm here. Yeah. I'm on weight. So, uh, so yeah, so I do feel for Valdez because I'm sure he was getting people in his ear saying, you don't have to fight, but if you don't, these are the repercussions. Well, simple solution get three opponents that could step in and then when what was someone, Carlos Takam up when to someone, suddenly someone doesn't drop out spin the wheel and the music goes on and then they run out to the ring ultimate warrior Ta- style uh, Takam's on, on call for everyone yeah he's on call right now <laughs> In like, case you couldn't make it, Andy, yeah, yeah. Carlos Takam's in your living room. A, a whole <laughs> line of people. Carlos Takam being behind me in the line. <laughs> um, I have a question, like, what are a heavyweight's preparations in, in, in comparison to everyone else? Because they don't have to make a weight, do they? They can be, they can be the biggest human in history and still but, be but fine. No, but you still have to optimise your weight as a heavyweight. And what I mean by that is, unless you're Andy Ruiz, then you just don't worry about that. So let's look at David Price. So we look at David Price in the Audley Harrison fight. He came in probably the bottom end of 18, top end of 17. Nimble, agile, was whipping shots in. Yeah, it wasn't the greatest of opponents, but physically you understood, yeah, he's a six foot eight guy. He looks like a six foot eight guy who's a heavyweight boxer. Look at him against the Croatian cab driver when he's 20 stone. And all of a sudden, he can't move. And that those extra three stone are taxing his body more than it's used to. 
So all that stamina drains out. And let's forget, let's not forget, David Price was essentially an athlete for a long time. So <laughs> he's not anymore. Was no, he was. We're saying. Yeah. Was. And and now he's nowhere near that. And he's nowhere near that because he's never really optimized his weight. And it's the same thing with Fury, where we're looking at Fury. What's your optimum weight to be able to move, fail to attack, punch with your maximum power, but also absorb the shots coming back? And it's it's interesting that AJ's looking back on his Klitschko fight. I think he came in was that was that when he came in two hundred and fifty two? No, no, he came in 2-4-6 for that. And then he came in 2-5-2 for Takam. And he generally accepts he's too heavy now. And he's not mobile and he's not fast. Because, yes, he looks in good shape at the weight. But ultimately, the extra kilos take a toll over a 12-round fight. You can be that big in a six-round fight. So whether he will or not, I'm not... I'm not sort of making any suggestions on, but he. it's been said that he's going to come in lighter for the Park fight. But they said that for the last fight. They said that for the right. uh, the Takam fight. And then I think Hearn said he's going to be the lightest he's ever fought at. Yeah. And then he came in the heaviest. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> might have said the same about Quick. <laughs> the curse of Hearn. No, but look, it, it, for Joshua, what are you shifting though? Do you see what I mean? That's like, like, like you take Derek Chisora. If Derek Chisora comes in 20 pounds lighter, you, you'll be able to see where it's come from. But what are you taking off Joshua? You're just going to hack his arm off. You'd have to lose that muscle density. I wonder how you could do that. I, I, I genuinely have no idea. Nah, Speak know. to Canelo. He's, I mean, he's an athlete. He's an athlete where he looks like he's been chiseled out of marble. A bit like Ian Lewison. Where would they lose the weight from? <laughs> you know Ian listens to this, right? <laughs> Ian? You may, uh, I have it on good authority. Uh, 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 good authority. While walking backwards, go on, mate. No, I have it on good authority that you're a decent boxer, but no one's that good when they're that fat, mate. So, <laughs> you, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm not, I'm just being fair. If he doesn't know that, then he needs to be told. If he does know that, then. Luckily, you don't go to many small horse shows. You're okay. <laughs> oh, prime physical condition, Ian. When I see you, if Steve's, hopefully, if, if hopefully Steve's listening to this, Andy can make heavyweight. <laughs> you know how we lined you up for Klitschko last uh, week. You're eliminated as Ian Lewis in six months. I can run. That's my that's my defence. You better be able to. <laughs> okay, so um, I've got as a subheading to this: Hearn versus Steve Kim. What does that oh. mean? <laughs> right, it's just to set the scene. Everyone's seen the Hearn interviews with Coogan. You see the Hearn interviews with any number of UK-based journalists. And, and and Hearn's normally on his game. Like, you know, I, I think it's only Rob who's really had him off guard. For the tweets that say, <laughs> oh, you guys are up Rob Tibbetts' ass. I can't even swear, but you know what I'm thinking. I think ass classes as a swear word, so that's... <laughs> no, no, that can't count as a swear word. Ass doesn't if you're referring to a donkey, but ass definitely does. That's yeah, but I, I like to elongate my A's. <laughs> Yeah, you but, do. You are from that. Your accent does sort of lend itself to yeah. that. So, from what I understand, a lot of the uh, the I mean, the British journalists, as you say, those that run the YouTube channels, we're all under no illusion that those guys get access to Hearn. I would suspect, allegedly, maybe, <laughs> on the basis that they only ask certain questions and they don't go in depth on other ones. Because if they don't, a they won't ever be able to speak to him again, and B. They probably won't even, like, Matchroom will probably go and sue them or something. Well, if, if I was going to be devil's advocate, nobody chooses the... I mean, no one's going to... For example, no no one in their right mind who has to have any sort of PR profile is going to choose, say, 
Jeremy Paxman to be the guy that interviews him every week. No, but the, the point is, I've never seen a UK YouTube channel press Hearn on StubHub. And I mean press him, like not go, do you sell tickets to StubHub directly? No, I don't. Nobody's then asked the follow-up question, because if you did, you're never going to get access to Hearn again. No one's ever, like, a bit horrible to him um, because of those reasons. And from what I hear, from what I understand, some of the IFL ones with Hearn, they're very, very favourable to him. Yes, they're so, almost scripted. Like, he, he almost writes the agenda. Yeah, so he almost writes the agenda, I believe. And if he answers something that he's not particularly happy with, they'll stop the interview, they'll edit that out, they'll restart the interview so that he can rechange that narrative. Yeah, so, Bad Batchy seems to conveniently die. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yes. So I would suspect, I mean, even like Final Edit is probably signed off somewhere within Matchroom HQ. So then leading on to this Steve Kim issue and what Terry was explaining, off you go. <laughs> The Americans don't care about Hearn, right? Hearn comes probably three or four times a year in any meaningful capacity, and he has to deal with them because he's got to sell his product in the US. So he doesn't have any control over, you know, what the US journalists say. Now, Steve Kim, I think he writes for UCN. UCN Live. And quite vocal. If you follow him on Twitter, you know, he's quite vocal about a lot of issues. So sometimes some interesting tweets. Sometimes, you know, he talks out of his backside. But... Generally, a guy, you know, you're like, I can listen to him because at least he has a view. So in the post-fight press conference, he basically hijacks the press conference to ask questions that we would normally ask if we were allowed in if, press Yeah, if, if Eddie ever agreed to meet up, then uh, we Despite would happily... Despite the numerous invites. Three emails. Three emails Matchroom HQ have ignored. But... So, I so, wonder why. So, <laughs> <laughs> So, so no, but, but to summarize what Steve Kim said, number one is like, do you think this is acceptable for your guy to come in overweight, refuse the fight day weigh-in, and then come in at 142 pounds, which is welterweight? Eddie Hearn disputed that it was but actually The best thing was he said to him, um, what, what was the word? It was something like, do you think it's acceptable that your fighter came in as a welterweight? And Hearn went, well, he wasn't a welterweight. It's like it was 142 pounds, and Herm's like, "Well, that's not really a welterweight, is it?" <laughs> but, but factually, it is anywhere between 140 and 147. Edward, like, it's not that difficult to comprehend. Is that why he doesn't call Kell Brook a virtually a career like middleweight? Because <laughs> there's a number of times he never, <laughs> never bothered with it. Yeah, he just never bothered making weight. But 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 what made it really interesting was Steve then, because Herm thought he'd got out of it, and Steve Kim turned around and said. What if it was one of your fighters who had to fight a guy that came in over? Can you say next time it happens to your fighter, you'll let it go on? And then, and then Hearn, this, this is Hearn. You've got to judge everything on a case by case basis. <laughs> like the most weaselly answer someone could come Proper up with. a politician. Yeah. Where, whereas what Steve was saying was correct. Like there have to be hard and fast rules for what happens in this situation. Because let's say, you know, you have a, a fight. A cruiserweight, like Lawrence O'Coley against, would you say, Maris Bradis, somewhere down the line. If Bradis comes in five pounds over, will they let that fight carry on? I think we all know that fight would not carry on. So, um, so for the more, oh, the less educated among us, which obviously in this room is me. Um, although, although in Hearn's defence, didn't Carson Jones just not bother making weight? Which fight? Any of them, to be fair. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the Ted Cheeseman fight, I think he just came in over. Oh, he did come in a bit over, yeah. Um, so I don't know what it was. 
No boxer ever boxes at their actual weight, do they? Just what do you mean actual weight, though? Like, if they're... If, uh, anyway, pick like, a weight. E- even lads that do same-day weigh-ins will eat, weigh-in, well, and sorry, weigh-in, and then go off and wo- uh, load up after that. So no one steps into the ring... No. No one steps in at their walking around weight. It no, may- I, mean, I mean, no one, no one stands on the scales... Weighs themselves and then steps into the ring at the same weight. No, or within a pound even. No. Well, Floyd's done it to within three pounds. So Floyd's swayed in at one four seven, fought at one fifty, and that's the closest you. That's that, and that's the sort of like. Or Pacquiao. Pacquiao can do. Pacquiao can weigh in at one forty, box at one four two. But generally speaking, it's more than that or less than that? Or um, what are you looking at in terms genet- of it's gain? A, it's, a, it's a genetic thing. It seems the Mexican guys can put on a lot more weight between weigh-in and fight night, which is why Canelo can put on 16 to... like Some some people say Canelo can come in at 20 pounds over what he they, weighed in. I'll give like you an idea. Mutant contaminated Last meat. night, um, <laughs> we'll come on to it a bit, Brad Pauls, who was fighting on the Goodwin show, um, middleweight area eliminator, weighs in um, middleweight, what's that, 12... Uh, sorry, 11 stone 4, 11 stone 6, um, came into the ring a stone heavier. That was a day before weigh-in, came in a stone heavier. Um, just gone off and refueled on the back of that. Like that's the kind of level that you're looking at. Isn't isn't that as much of a risk to fighters? Well, other opposing be. fighters. Hell, I don't like for just just. I realise this is ex- this is extreme, but going on what you said, Terry, about the genetics of it. Where do you draw that line between if if when you say about taking on artificial substances and that can affect uh, another no fighter and that. that sort of stuff, right? Um, performance enhancing drugs. If someone takes that and it's not it's not fair because they've put the other fighter in danger, I I struggle with this. If somebody is if somebody has and as you've alluded to Terry, when we talked about maybe uh, transgender boxing in the future, if there's um, a male to female transgender boxer, then not with outside of the rule set but they are putting their opponent in danger by having an elevated level of testosterone that they wouldn't otherwise have. If do you know what I mean? But where would you draw the line? What's this got to do with weight? I've lost the, the point. The point I'm trying to make is that if you are someone who can put on 20 pounds overnight, I don't see just because it's, quotes, natural, end quotes, why you should still be able to throw so much more weight at somebody yeah, just but, because it's but, natural. But there's a trade-off, though. So, if there was a drug you could take yeah. to allow you to put on 30 pounds overnight, people would say, no, but, no, oh, no, you can't no. take that. That's performance enhancing. No, but but, but if it's f- natural, it's suddenly okay. No, there's a trade-off, right? So you put on 20 pounds, there's a real impact on your performance. You put on 10 pounds, different kind of performance. Don't know whether it's good or it's bad, but there's, there's an impact. So it, look, if I'm, if I'm training Martin, for example, and Martin's like, you know, I think I could box at cruiserweight. I might say to mate, you got to box at light heavy because when we strip everything down, the shots you can take are probably at light heavy and not cruiser. So you've got to optimize your weight. And then we accept, and, and you'll know this through camp, when does Martin perform at his best? Actually, you know what? Martin's pretty dangerous at about 180 pounds. Yeah. Anything more, he's sluggish. Anything less, he's weak. I'm sluggish at all weights. <laughs> so so, so, so when, when he weighs in, I'm making sure he doesn't go above that sweet spot. And if someone says Canelo's sweet spot's 169 pounds to fight, then yeah, that's where he's got to fight it. The only way you could resolve that, Andy, to be honest with you, is what they do in the amateurs where you just weigh in on the day. Because when you weigh in on the day, 
That's essentially your tournament weight. That's the weight you've got to be able to make day in, day out. Which is what a lot of the small hall lads, if it's not a title fight or an eliminator fight, a lot of the small hall lads do same day weigh-ins. I don't understand why you wouldn't do that. It seems like uh, the fairest well, way to do it. Because if you don't make weight, the fight's done. I'll tell you why, right, as well. <laughs> because it's very, very dangerous. Go back to what we were saying last week about Tyler Goodjohn. Um, for those of you, I hope you've gone out and read the, the piece mm. where... He talks with Craig at Fight Talk about his, his fight with Tyrone Nurse. So he strips every bit of weight off him. So every single sinew that he can get out, he is out. And so and he, so get, he had dominantly be, water, isn't it? He That's had to they... be helped onto the scales by his mate, essentially. <laughs> right? And so imagine you're... Sorry, you just swore. We're not having that. <laughs> no, I, I can still swear. No, 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 no. No, that's, bo- that's baloney. Right. <laughs> 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 well, I've swore three times, so if you put me down, that's three. You owe 30 p. You're, you're being a bunce, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you've got these title fights, um, you know, people want to fight at the, the weight that is going to benefit them the most. So, they're bigger people coming down to smaller weights. Oh, so, if you say that every title fight has to be on the day weigh-ins, you're really risking... And don't get me wrong, it works both ways. You're risking people coming down from higher weights to really low weights and then not getting the opportunity to refuel and rehydrate mm. if you do it on the day. If you do it the day before, you're giving people the opportunity to overhydrate and overfuel. And as you say, you're putting in a bigger guy with a smaller guy at that point. Can I throw, a, can I throw another variable in? If you're a promoter, you're not going to let... I wouldn't, you wouldn't let Tyler take that risk on a same day weigh in, would you? Because you're like... That's my money screwed. No, yeah. no, you're fighting the weight the, class the, the above because we've all got to eat here. The yeah. difficult thing is here, like, if I, I accept that and, and I, can ima- I can well imagine that's the case. But if you make, therefore, an argument for, like, day before because we know what people will do, then you're prioritising people coming down and getting hurt, which is their own choice, against people who it's potentially facing a larger opponent and therefore being put at risk. That's your matchmaker's job. So if I'm a matchmaker... And I know I've got a lad going up from lightweight to light welter, and it's his first fight. There's no way I'm fighting a guy who's who's fought at light middle before, and he's just boiling down to 140. Yeah. You take, I'm trying to think, a lad like Danny Connor. Danny Connor's fought at 147, right? Yeah. But I know Danny's been offered fights at 135. And it's only because Danny's not really a power puncher people will take those fights. If he could crack, you'd never take that fight because you're like, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, you'd never take a fight from from someone coming down like that and if you're a manager or matchmaker you'd be like nah you're absolutely crazy when you mature at that weight and now you're coming down from 145 down to make 140 you might entertain the fight and it, it yeah. box is very complex but it's driven by this thing that on fight day everyone wants to make their money I accept that. It just it just feels like a double standard. That's all. I'm not. It sure feels that's like a BS. Let's, let's call it what it is. It's BS, right? But it's the nature of the sport. You can't tag someone else in if you can't make weight. That's the problem. Okay. Um, I'm not sure there's a perfect answer to it. As you say, both sides have got their detriments. Both sides no. have got their positives in terms of the safety of the people involved. Yeah. I don't know what the correct route is. Because boxing is about gaming the system. Whatever system it is, you're gaming it for your advantage. It's like, if you look at rugby now, look at how they're using the HIA, the head impact, the head injury assessment, as 
A, a mean of, means of killing momentum and killing the clock. Yeah. And B, as well, go, actually, look, there's an HIA here. You might have to take him off so yeah. I can put my prop back on <laughs> to <laughs> seal off the, the game. Which is the same as they did with the, the blood Bloodgate. substitutions yeah. and the Bloodgate, yeah. Yeah, so, so every, I accept that people, everyone games the system. I, I, and I, I accept that. But for me, even though you understand, it, that, that's human nature, right? There are people who are always going to try and exploit it. So you have to look at that and say, right, even if the worst case scenario happens, we're not going to allow a big guy getting in the ring with a... Sm- well, we're not going not to allow it, but we're going to mitigate it as much as possible. We don't do it for the heavyweights. Well, yeah, I suppose that's a fair point. Yes, yeah, so you got David Price said, what, what was he? He walked into the ring but at like no, 290 no pounds. He had Wilder at 214 against Ortiz at 240 something or other. Yeah, I suppose that... But- <laughs> That's well, choice at that well, point. I'm going. I'm, <laughs> I'm having an argument around head now because I'm thinking. Well, that's a risk they take, but then I suppose that's a risk you take if you get into a ring. Yeah. You know that that's. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting d- topic for debate. Anyway, I don't um, think it was, but we did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for anyone who's still listening. <laughs> we're, not, we're not swearing, and we're actually okay. talking about real right, boxing look, stuff. I promise oh, you, we won't, oh. <laughs> we won't talk about PEDs or anyone that is not unclean in the sport. Okay. Anyway, Canelo. Right. Brilliant. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Let's talk about him. A paragon of virtue within boxing. I'm, I, my honest view, I'm not going to let people give Canelo a kick. F- in. How fucking contaminated me. It does my nothing. Well, <laughs> language. Oh, right. It's another language, one. Andrew. Well, I never promised that I'm going to swear. Well, well, I just wish, you know, you could be part of the team for once. Fuck, bollocks, shit. Cunt. Oh, here he goes. Toys out the pram. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. This, Toys out the pram, this is toilet. This is toilet. I don't care. No, but look. look. I fucking do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Last man standing, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) But look, here's my view. And I'll edit all mine out. (laughs) (laughs) Look, all the time I've been doing this podcast and I'm like, all these boxes are dirty. And I was took tin hat Terry. I, I took I took my I took my lumps, right? On social media and in person, I took my lumps. People thought I was just making this stuff up. But now, now people are like, oh, it's Canelo. Now everyone wants to be like, oh, it's all dirty. First and foremost, this isn't how you want to catch someone to validate that position. And people go, oh, well, what about all the cyclists that got pinged for clenbuterol? Yes, but they weren't in a country where it's a known problem. So Mexico has a problem across two fronts. Number one, it has so many underground labs that, you know, you know <laughs> The, the people who are trying I've to make crystal meth. Yeah, yeah. So you're trying to make crystal meth, but the guys who are making crystal meth are also making steroids. So there's like a, a battle for labor, essentially. <laughs> it's like, look, I need you to cut some cocaine or make some crystal meth or make steroids. And there, there's probably a labor shortage in Mexico for those sorts of skills. But there's a massive steroid problem Poor in Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> so, and, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. They do feed their cows the clenbuterol to maximize lean muscle mass in their cattle. Uh, you know, that's what they do. I don't think you can outlaw it. I don't think steroids are illegal in Mexico, so you can't outlaw it. So what ends up happening is I think they probably, I was going to say, they probably end up in the fat of the meat. So if you're eating a fatty cut Wait, of meat... But if you know this, then why doesn't Canelo know this and get his well, meat from a well, protected source? This is the problem well, I have. He's, he's got enough land to have his own cow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's earned enough money out of those Mayweather fights. Well, out of his entire career. Terry from the, London knows your meat is fucking shit, but Canelo from Mexico doesn't know anything about No, no, Mexican... apparently the clenbuterol really adds to the flavour. 
<laughs> so it is it's a like well known, beef. It is a well-known issue in Mexico. There are other Mexican fighters that have failed on the same issue. There are Mexican footballers that have failed on the same issue. What I don't understand is, given that it is so well-known, as you say, mm. why does Canelo not have his own ranch with cows flown in from America... The first class. You know, because they don't put hormones in their meat in America, do okay. they? Well, you find somewhere that has clean cows. I don't know where that is. And you bring them in. But the other thing is, look back. There you was must a- have had their drink spiked on the flight. On the flight. <laughs> By the cow's brother. <laughs> By Gallagher. <laughs> D- diversifying. We say spiked. We mean like poked. But um, <laughs> So... You read back, there was a GQ interview with Canelo that he did about a year back yeah. where it goes through his daily diet. And it's like, what do you eat in a day? And he's going, right, in the morning I eat porridge and oats and <laughs> for like lunch I'll eat um, lettuce and salad. And it goes through the entire day, not one mention of meat. <laughs> not a single mention of meat throughout the entire thing. Yet as soon as you get popped for it, it's like, whoa, ho, ho, ho. I'm all about a steak. Oh, didn't I make no beef salad? Beef salad, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and so, a pint of clean beef. I mean, uh, no, just the beef. Just but, but, the but beef. The issue, but so, so the problem is, in another country, just be easy to nail them. Go absolutely, mate. You can't, you can't feed us this. But we know it's a problem in Mexico, and there's that slim possibility that it is accidental. And I and I say this for this reason only: he must have the biggest budget of any boxer out there, more so than Joshua. They're not making those sorts of mistakes. They they're not making those sorts of mistakes, and it will be a strange time to have a low trace of clibuterol because you imagine Canelo's got to come down in weight. So I'd imagine he'd be absolutely raging with the stuff if he was on it. And so there's, there's enough of a muddiness to this issue where I'm like, and and I, there's a bias I have because I quite like Canelo. I'm like, I, I, I really don't want it to be true and I can see how it couldn't be true. But that's not to say he's clean because I don't believe many at the elite level are. Let, let me take the casuals. I, I just like to catch him with something more substantial. Let me take the casuals approach to this because I'm the least educated on PEDs and such like out of three of us. What are the main benefits anyone is getting out of clenbuterol? Um, uh, lung capacity. You, you drop weight without losing the muscle mass you've built up. Where can I get it? Clenbuterol? Yeah. Um, just it's Google Clen. You'll get it. Can, all- can you order me some? Um, you can get it in England. Yeah, yeah. Really no, it easy. sounds awesome. Yeah, you can get some, mate. I guess. Uh, I, 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 it's not helping you, mate. Like, it might help a little bit. <laughs> you should, but you are going to have to get on the treadmill. You can't just sit there watching Jeremy Kyle. <laughs> just drinking Clembura. <laughs> six stone. <laughs> How much are you drinking? No, but, but you, Mr. Mr. Theobald, your kidneys have failed. No, but do you remember? <laughs> yeah, but I lost two pounds. High five in the doctor. <laughs> well, no, if we go back. That was got, your kidney. <laughs> You know, but if we go back to the Muhammad Ali thing, right? The issue with the Muhammad Ali thing wasn't that he got caught for Tremble, and it was that if you're taking Trent, there's a whole range of stuff you had to have been taking too. Just to clarify, this is the amateur Muhammad Ali, not the, the greatest great. of all time yeah. Muhammad Ali. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So, so you'd have to have been taking a load of stuff with it because if you took Tremble on its own, your balls and your penis would probably fall off. And so... Normally, when I see someone's pop for something, what I'm looking at is, where are you in your camp? So if this had been, let's say this had been like April 15th and he had popped on April 15th, I'd have been like, the guy's trying to make weight. Wow. Um, Yeah, he's he's all the way dirty, right? Because that's when you're really going to use it. When you're like, 
all this cardio I'm doing is not helping. I need that boost. But then that would be telling me that there's a whole range of things that have been happening prior to this point. Yeah, you wouldn't use Tremblone to slim down, though. You no, 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 no. I'm using Climbuterol now. Right. Okay, so so right. if you saw that in, in Canelo's system in about three or four weeks from now, I'd be very, very concerned. Th- at this point, I'm like, I don't, I don't think he would have started using it. it w- w- you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get the benefit you want because you're still at that point where you want to be big, strong for most of the, the heavy lifting you're about to There's do. There's a part of me that just thinks, just plead guilty. With the tokenistic punishment you'd get, you'd probably be, your ban would probably be over before the fight. Well, there's so, no ban. There's no ban. There's no punishment. <laughs> no, I, I recognise. So, but it just, like, the world of boxing doesn't even... It, just, well, it doesn't care. No, because because they did the ESPN special and had Max Kellerman and that stupid black guy, the Stephen A. Smith. Yep. And all they said was, I don't care what happens. I don't care who gets popped for what. That fight on May 5th has to happen. Cinco de Mayo has to happen. And I'm like, this is why boxers are allowed to dope. And what's so embarrassing, right? The day after it happened, you've got um, Gilberto Mendoza, the oh, head of the WBA, my oh, your friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get him back on, by the way, because he's been a right... Well, everything he said about to you this. turned out to be BS, right? Yeah. And you've got Mauricio Suleiman from the WBC, the two heads of the WBC, the WBA... Both come out on social media and defend him. And defend, like, you've got a guy that's just black and white, right? Black and white, he's failed a drugs test. Now, we can talk about why it might have been. But black and white, he's failed a drugs test. And you've got the two heads of the people that are using the VADA clean Clean boxing boxing program program. (laughs) coming out and publicly saying, oh, it's all right, it's all right. (laughs) Gilberto Mendoza, he said... (laughs) <laughs> his words were and I'm not even sure this might be verbatim might not this just adds a little bit more drama to it <sighs> what? yeah fair like, one okay so ooh, is anyone going to get killed in the ring because someone's off their head on t- <laughs> the juice like how can the two heads of the boxing organisations that are employing VADA when someone fails those tests come out and say it's alright like I, I just don't I don't get right I don't get why there's such a massive um, uh, two, two oceanically different views between, say, boxing and athletics. One bloke gets banned in athletics and everyone loses their heads like, oh, God, that sport's not clean. Fucking give them whatever they want and they can do the 100 metres in four seconds. No one's going to die from it. In boxing, there's a real chance somebody can get fucking injured and no one seems to give a toss. But you know what it is? No, no, but you know what it is with athletics? I, I, I say this on numerous occasions, right? When Usain Bolt says he's the fastest man in the world, what he means is of every human being that is able to propel themselves forward under their own power, he is faster than you over 100 meters and 200 meters. So that's billions of people. I mean, was. He's not anymore. Yeah, I know. It's a shame. But was he clean? I won't put money but on that. But again, but, that's oh, not... Sorry, go on. Boxing. <laughs> Like if you're a world champion, yeah, you could probably kick a lot of people's backsides, but that heavyweight UFC champion might be able to hurt you. That kickboxing world champion, might, you're you're not really at the top of the top. Whereas in athletics, if you say you're the fastest man in the world, no one can dispute that. But that's not because you know you don't have like the athletics commission, the athletics federation. You don't have a splintered approach to the sport. Yeah. You have a single governance of it, and they spend money on testing because they understand that. Look at the money and let's let whatever people want to tell me. I know there are people that listen to this that like swimming. No one cares about swimming. The Olympics is anchored by athletics. 
That's where all their money comes from. So that's why they invest in testing because as long as people believe that they're trying to win this fight, which they'll never win, and they know that, because look, like if Bolt, if Bolt sets the world record of nine point five eight, I think that's the world record, and the next fastest time by a clean athlete <laughs> is like nine point nine five. How do you explain how he's like a third of a second and like thirty different athletes better than anyone? But it's else? not even. It's when you look through that list of like the thirty top one hundred meter times of all time, and then you've got a line through everyone who's, who's a drugs cheat, <laughs> and the only name left is Bolt. Usain Bolt about five yeah. times as well. And look at that picture of the. You know, they get pictures of the Jamaican athletics team. If you put a crossover, everyone that's failed the test, you're kind of left with two people. Essentially, <laughs> Bolt and the lady runner who was decent. Um, maybe the one that Prince Harry was meant to have fancied. But okay, let's Janet something. Was it, was it... Street Porter. <laughs> yeah, Janet Street Porter. That's Jackson. the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't remember. Let's fast forward. Okay, let's go to the day after um, Canelo versus Golovkin. I bet let's roll the clock forward. Golovkin has been uh, hospitalized. And is in a coma, and we don't know if he's going to pull through or not. How many questions are going to be asked about what was going on in that camp of Canelo's, given that we know he failed the drugs test? What is the response going to be of boxing if you know Golovkin has been taken out around the world live, ends up in a hospital in a coma? What is the response going to be of the general public that somebody's life is at risk, and it was? you know, put into place by a man who publicly failed a drugs test. How bad does that make the sport look? It's sunk lower. That's the problem with boxing. I think (laughs) boxing fans just expect it to inhabit the sewer of sporting life. You know, look, look, how many times have we sat there and talked about certain heavyweight boxers and gone, come on, man, you really want to believe that this is clean because you see a few tweets... Who really tweets? Like, like, look, here's an example, right? <laughs> I have never tweeted on April 5th, I've paid my taxes. I've never tweeted that because it's just generally accepted that's the right thing Hashtag to do. Hashtag clean taxes. Yeah. <laughs> clean salary. All that sort of stuff. So when I see boxers showing me pictures that they're being tested, I'm like, you're trying to sell me a story that's not true here. And as boxing fans, if you're not asking these questions, and no, I've never seen anyone go, you know, Hearn, what would you do if you found out that AJ was just next on the list of people that you've worked with who are doping because you don't, clearly you don't care. You got Kid Galahad gallivanting all over the place. No, because Hearn did the interview with Behind the Gloves where he said... What, did um, Rob do it? No, did he? Ek. So oh, I, bet, right. I bet it was weak. Yeah, it was poor. I, no, I didn't even watch it. I just saw the headline from Behind the Gloves. The headline was, uh, Hearn says Canelo's legacy is tarnished because of this. This is Hearn who next weekend has got Brown versus White as a headline fight. Two men that have failed drugs tests. The test. only reason he said that, the only reason, is because he knows Canelo will never sign with him. If he signed with him tomorrow, he'd be like, oh, yeah, And but- also, he hasn't got a middleweight that there's any risk of him getting into contract negotiation. He can absolutely mug off Canelo all yeah, he likes. Yeah, yeah, because he'll never fight Danny Jacobs now. Yeah, he's got nobody that's of interest around Jacobs him. Jacobs must be pissed, though. He's like, you're ruining my money. Yeah. So Hearn comes out saying like, oh, it's ruined his legacy. I'm like, last weekend you had Galahad. You've got forthcoming Brown versus White as a headline fight. And then you've got Pavetkin coming up on the undercard of the Joshua fight. 
That's four people that have served and, and bans. Let's, and let's not forget that Parker was missing drugs tests not long ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> a bit like Tony Yoka. <laughs> He's another one that's oh, done it this week, isn't yep. he? Yep. Tony Yoka, the French amateur gold medalist, has got a suspended 12-month ban because he missed three drugs tests, tests. in the period of 12 months. Now, now you're, you're a dad, right? I am. What, not not oh, you. Sorry, no, Tony. Tony Yoka's a dad. Because he's a, a, mine's a mega dad. Where is he it's meant to be? Like, How are you missing tests when fatherhood duty... Look, you're either in the gym or with your kid, right? Like, Where else are you to be missing drugs tests? They're only going to come to these two places. But, three but, times. Three so, times in 12 months. Look, I, I was told this by a friend of mine and he's in America and he helps people basically, like he he helps a lot of CrossFitters avoid doping control, a few UFC guys. And he just goes, look, the easiest way to not pop for anything is you're not there to be tested. <laughs> it was, is it John Jones that yeah. hid underneath the ring when the doping people <laughs> came to his gym? He got a heads up. Uh, this is apparent. I don't know it definitely happened, but there's stories of it. He gets a heads up the doping people are coming to the gym. And so he hides underneath the ring, like his octagon that he's got in the gym. And so the drugs people are like, okay, we'll just wait for him. If he's not here, we'll wait for him. They're like, right, so now you've got the situation of a man hiding underneath that octagon and then like a couple of drugs testers. (laughs) I hope he didn't have his phone nearby. We'll just sit sit by this ring. (laughs) Wow, after about four hours. Mm, It smells like poo underneath that ring. I'm hungry. Did that ring just say something? <laughs> and so this is what happens. Right? So you know as a boxer at every level, if you look at the people who are popping at UCAD, don't say the small hall's immune from this because there's a lot of low-level boxers popping. And it's almost like the British board. No, no, no. I'm scratch it. It's almost like some mythical organization somewhere. It's like we can have a few sacrificial lambs just so the, the crown jewels are protected. The thing is, you've, what it is when it comes to PEDs, You've got to have a system in place for testing. And I think it was, was it blood doping where essentially they take a, a pint of your blood, put it into a fridge, right? Well, you go, to, you go to altitude first, let the blood cells multiply, or you take, or take EPO, EPO and, and that, then you draw it out, freeze it. And you leave it, your body then regenerates all of its blood. And then before you think, you inject yourself with your own blood, right? So you've, now you've got a litre extra blood or a pint of extra blood or whatever. Funny enough, on that podcast that I referenced last week, bloke said he did it, but it was obviously it got contaminated. Yeah, and he said toxoplasmosis. And I, f- I like felt that. like I had like the worst flu ever. And he said, and I was pissing black for the next three days, <laughs> and he had to do the Tour de France. But Sebastian, Cole, order, you know, he got pinged for that, right? In order for them to, in order for them to test whatever they've they've, they've got to have something. I I thought it was blood doping, but referencing what you just said there. Uh, Maybe it wasn't blood doping, but there was a maybe it was EPO. It took them ages to find out a way to test for it. Well, so it, in order for them to, but to athletes were using it years before they were able to test yeah, for to it. To effectively yes. test, you yeah. need to know what the problem is. Yeah, so, so, so there's probably su- substances out there now that are no, technically no. technically legal because they no one knows that they're, they're, they're around to be to I, be I've made been saying this. Right, look, look at how the Russians just wiped out that guy and his daughter in Salisbury, right? with some stuff that we still don't know. Yep. We don't know what the hell that is. You're telling me that there's not a lab in Russia where they just made something. Just made something that seems to give all these Russian guys superhuman punch power. It wouldn't surprise me if in 10 years' time it turns out they were taking something. You're like, wow. 
T Rex testosterone, perfectly fossilized <laughs> nuts. <They're> just, <laughs> there's only only a drip. It'd be awesome if if his codename was just King Kong. <laughs> but look, in terms of doping, like just an interesting one. So when Sebastian Coe had blood issues, right? They took his blood out and did a test. And they were like, mate, you got two people's blood in you. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> have you been in a car accident recently? Uh, yeah. I, I can have been. <laughs> Ringing his wife and smashed the car up. I need them to believe. <laughs> no, so that's really weird. But when it comes to doping, how do you fix it in boxing? Biological passport. Straight away. Yeah? Every title fight... No, let's How would it. a biological passport work? Okay, so, so, so we'd have to have a baseline point, right? And and even and even if the boxers dope, there's only a certain level they can dope to. So they'll, they'll, you, you'll find that they all have the same level of testosterone. They'll all have the same hematocrit count in their red blood cells. They'll have the same level of growth hormone because they all dope up to a certain level. You go beyond that, or if there's a significant fluctuation then it flags. But what it means is right. year in, year out, we can track. And what you should expect over time is that some of those levels will drop off. Your testosterone level should start to fall off after a certain point. And if it doesn't, it becomes a red flag. And that's the advantage of a biological passport. And so I don't think it'd be that expensive to do administer. They, do, do they have that in athletics? They have okay. it in cycling. All right. So if your biological well, passport... What's the need for it in cycling, you know? <laughs> but 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 look but look at how many people cycling gets now because of that biological passport abnormality loads it's a clean sport now uh, you know <laughs> it wasn't in 2012 <laughs> <laughs> look, so look, so i know that a lot of guys making noise about the doping but go after the real issues yeah and the real issues are not the abuse of clenbuterol the real issues are the abuse of testosterone the abuse of yeah. substances like osterine and ligandrol and RAD 140. These are the ones that people don't call steroids, but have steroid-like effects. And that's what a lot of CrossFitters are taking now, and so, that's and they and they're getting pinged for it. I mean, that's outside the realms of my knowledge, but they 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 just from what you've said in the context of it, they sound like things that will put weight on you rather than helping yeah. you slim down. Yeah. So what they do is they bind onto the androgen receptor, which is what you want to get bigger and stronger. Uh -huh without touching any of the other tissues. It only focuses on your muscle tissue. So your bone, your prostate, your tendons don't get bigger. It's just your muscles will get bigger. The number of myonuclei, which is really why you take steroids. You don't take steroids to get bigger. You take steroids to increase the number of myonuclei per muscle fiber because that then increases the contractile force you're able to generate. So when people say little guys don't take steroids, they absolutely do because they don't need to get big. You only get bigger when you eat. Well, you want to get stronger. You want to get stronger, more exposed, but you want to increase that, that ability to contract the muscle faster and harder than you could before. Uh, right. Martin switched off, so I suspect we need to change the subject because there'll be plenty of people out there that have enjoyed or not enjoyed up to this point, but we need to move on. I'm one of the ones that hasn't, to be honest. <laughs> Can't <laughs> okay. lie about it. Fair enough. Uh, right. Moving on. Um, right. Indongo versus Progre. Progre, yeah. Yeah, um, I, do you oh, remember? Yeah. Like, and look, look. I think we said it when Ndongo fought Burns, and we're like, it was impressive that he pitched the shutout on Ricky Burns. But Ndongo, he looked like an accident waiting to happen. Um, he has the pedigree of, I think he boxed in the 2008 Olympics, if I'm correct, or he qualified for it, if nothing else, and uh, got knocked out in the prelims. But you're watching Ndongo as an accident waiting to happen, and 
you always had a sense that Ricky Burns was worse than we were giving him credit for. And Ndongo made him look like a child. But then Ndongo stepped up to fight people who were real world caliber and got absolutely humiliated by Terence Crawford. Um, then he fights this guy, Progre, who, whose record doesn't tell us anything of substance. He's just a... Just, he almost looks like a standard American club fighter. In British terms, he'd be a small hall guy, if we're being honest. And this Progre guy does nothing other than slips a few wild Ndongo punches and goes to the body. Just like Crawford did. And it's like Ndongo never learned his lesson. But he took a shot in the second round that didn't look that special and went over like he'd been shot by a sniper. And I'm going to come on to this later on when we talk about, you know, fight endings and how they leave a bad (laughs) taste in the mouth. But essentially, he got dropped three times and he got dropped seemingly with the same punch three times. And at no point did it occur to him that actually this guy's going to try and hit me with a straight left. I'm going to put my hand up. As soon as the ref says box, I'll put my hand up so I'm defended. He just left his hand down as if he just wanted, he wanted a way out of that fight. And he was almost surprised when the ref kept making him continue. It was, it was Ian John Lewis. I don't know how he ended up there. How did he end up in was that fight? Was it Ian John Lewis? No, it was Ian John, Ian John Lewis was either that fight or the Mikey Garcia fight. I think it was the Ndongo fight, which was in like South Dakota of all places. Fair enough. So Ian John Lewis... Did he up, tell him I am the referee before they started? Oh, man, I wasn't that interested. Just I in case anyone was wondering. <laughs> what are you doing here? I'm the referee, bro. No, so basically, and Ndongo's and, and like, I thought you were going to stop it at the first knockdown. So he has to take two more knockdowns. And <laughs> John Lewis is like, nah, this guy just wants out and ended the fight. But but it, it, whoever manages Ndongo, respect, because they managed to turn someone who's clearly not that good into he might be on the pound for pound list, make a, a stat load of money, no, and then boom. I don't think it's not who did, it's not uh, Ndongo's handlers that managed to do that. That's Eddie Hearn that managed to do that. Because when Ndongo turned up, and finish Burns, then Eddie Hearn was like, well, if he's beaten Burns, he must be on the pound for pound list. He must be one of the best boxers in the world to have done that to Ricky Burns. And so that's purely where it's come from, is that Hearn spun the narrative that if you've beaten Ricky Burns and you are elite, which makes you think now, how bad was Ricky Burns that night? How yep. shot is Ricky Burns that Ndongo did that to Burns and now has been taken apart? Crawford's an exceptional talent, we accept that. Yep. But Progre, Really? Sorry, Andy, were you colouring in? Um, no, I was just doodling because uh, I expected there to be more. But... Do you know what, you know what Andy reminds me of? It's like when I fall asleep in a meeting. Right? <laughs> they go, Terry, what's your view? You're like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, no, that's always, I need more information. Well, you know, I, anyway, let's move on. Um, Andy needs more information. No, 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 no. no but, but, so I don't know if, if it was the Garcia card or the Ndongo card where Effie Jagba basically fight so young heavyweight i think he boxed in the 2016 olympics big lump of a man and he's boxing some guy called antonio i only saw this because umar sadiq put the video it must have been on the garcia undercard because that's where umar was yeah so so umar's got this video up and i'm watching and i see a jagba throw a straight he threw a straight right standard punch he hit the guy it didn't seem to have that much force, but the guy literally just threw himself on the floor. And you could see that because he's just kicked his legs out. His legs haven't buckled under him. Like a WWF, like falling yeah. over. Yeah, literally just take the fall. Like Ric Flair and used it, to do. And it made the same noise. It was just boom. 
And then he got up. And what you could see what he was trying to do, right? <laughs> to make himself unstable, he just changed the angle of his leg. So when he started to push down on it, he'd sway a little bit. <laughs> and the rest looking, I'm like, mate, this guy's just taking a dive, allegedly. But it looked, it did look, and I can't say he did it for you. It looked like he threw himself down. And I was like, I don't think we've seen something that blatant since like 1946. Normally, when you've got a hunch about something, you say what you mean and then go, sue me. So the fact that you're saying, I don't know, is the case. I mean, you've moved on in some uh, respect. Evolution. Maturity. Nice. Um, the Goodwin Show next weekend, presumably. Well, no, there's one, there was one yesterday. There was one last night. That's what I put it on there for, Andy. Other reviews. Um, uh, no, 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 Martin's alive again. <laughs> it's more what I'm about. I'm not about America. I don't stay up for American fights. And I have kids, so I'm watching the next yeah, day. Yeah. Anyone that earns over five grand a fight, Martin doesn't want to know about it. <laughs> Once you reach world level, you're nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, nah, shout out. Um, a couple of highlights. Tom Ansell. Started off as a middleweight. This lad's an ex-rugby player. Like, stocky, firm-looking middleweight. He's now down to welterweight. Taking a lot of bulk off his top. Um, his legs Was he in Mexico? No, I don't believe so. Just checking. Um, but yeah, he's a real highlight to watch. If you ever get a chance, uh, he was on the last Hay under uh, Hay undercard, the last Joyce undercard at the O2 Indigo, the one they did there. Um, exciting welterweight to watch. Anyone that's out there, hopefully uh, you'll start to see more of Tom as it progresses. Main event with Brad Pauls, Diego Burton, um, representing my Brad Pauls t-shirt today. Thank you, Brad, for that. Showing that groupie love. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a, a 10 round uh, area of eliminator. So, Taylor Jones, I'm going to bore you now, Andy, because it's all small, all stuff. You haven't no, heard of any of these names. No, mate. mate, fancy grab me a coffee while he, while he goes on. <laughs> Toby Ansel? Taylor Jones won the Southern Area Middleweight title down in Friday, emphatic beating of Matt uh, MH Leg. Well done, Tay. Congratulations. It's a good fight from what I saw of it. Then you got the Eliminator last night. It was the one that I was at. Um, Brad Pauls, uh, for me, maybe lost one round out of the nine that he fought against Diego Burton. Stopped him in the ninth. Um, but yeah, like really uh, dominant performance. So those two, that's what I'll get to. Hopefully MTK London and Goodwin can come to an agreement for Taylor Jones versus Brad Pauls. Two young lads, two nice lads, likeable lads. But those two could have a proper fight for an area title, and I'd really enjoy that. Um, that'd be a good fight. Uh, the rest of it, um, Dana Zaxo. For anyone, most people out there won't be familiar with Dana Zaxo. How the F did he get on Sky? Did he? He was a, Listen, just because you've done it more than me. Yeah? When was he on Sky? <laughs> I swear, like... He's only had two fights. Dion, both on Dion Juma sent a link. And I know Dion was on Sky. Or maybe they were just having a laugh. I don't know. But it looked like he was on Sky News. Oh, Sky maybe Sports. he was. I'll tell you what. Dana Zaxo, right? This is probably how he got on there if he was. Dana Zaxo, big cruiserweight, right? And watching him, he's not the most refined fighter in the world. He will either knock you out or he's going to get knocked out at some point. One way or the other. Big lad comes from a background where he was out fighting ISIS. He's like Tony Bellew's wet dream. He was out, like, that was his job for a while, I believe, was fighting against ISIS. For who, though? Because that's illegal, if I'm correct. Uh, I'd imagine I he was... They, I think fighting for ISIS is illegal, but I think, I've, I'm sure I've there's been people that have been celebrated for fighting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know the circumstances. Because yeah. I remember it was illegal. I think the, the, the law was something like, 
you cannot leave this country to fight for a foreign force. I don't know who's I don't think fighting it's legal for to be a mercenary, or... <clears throat> like because that's effectively what you'd be if if you were fighting for those situations. I don't think it's legal to be a mercenary, but I think there's more of an appetite to stop those fighting for ISIS than there are fighting for people against ISIS. You, you never fancy that, Andy? It's like. <laughs> No, funny enough. No, I didn't know. <laughs> so yeah, Big Dan Axo brings a tremendous following to York Hall. Like that place just erupts. He must have had three hundred people there. Syrian. It was incredible. Um, yeah, just a fun fighter to watch because he's either going to hurt you or get hurt. There's no other way about it. Um, that's some of the highlights from it. That's about um, it, really. I'm trying to think. Was it? Ooh. You know, you're not going to talk about the big announcement. The big announcement. There's a question about it. I'm, I'm waiting. Okay, we'll wait for the questions. But, but you know, when Martin tweeted a big announcement, I was really, I was, I was like, wow. There's another wow. big announcement this week, Terry. Yeah, but is, is it of the same magnitude as the last one? If so, I can, I, I can, I can drop out of that one. <laughs> You'll find out later this week. Find out later this evening. <laughs> <laughs> you're not finding out shit. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that car can have a nasty crash. <laughs> Please, handbrake turns. I mean. This is basically a confession. If I die tonight in my car, I'm like OJ. This is how I would do. <laughs> There's a hammer down in the footwell of the passenger side. I'm nervous. Now. If I did it, I would have done it like this. But I didn't do it. Did, did OJ actually have that interview? Has he said that? I don't know. He probably oh, has. That'd be good, wouldn't it? In that'd between impersonating a pimp with a, <laughs> I love, but I love OJ. Um, Andy Scott asks. Christian for this week, my wife reckons my STI is a sign that I've been cheating. I've explained to her that it's come from contaminated meat, but she's still kicking me out. Is she being unreasonable? Well, just 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 stop giving and start taking. <laughs> God. Yeah, um, no, we're all about all about all about safe sex here. So like if if you if you like your meat, you know, some guys have a Chippendales fetish, some guys, you know, dream boys. But if it's a meat thing, you know, just just either take or give, but make sure you protect yourself. <laughs> I mean, your missus clearly got it from contaminated meat, but perhaps it wasn't you that got the STI from the contaminated <laughs> Are you suggesting that Andy Scott's wife is cheating on him? No, I'm suggesting that Andy Scott's meat is contaminated. Weren't you in Stoke not long ago? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, you guys. Um, Mike T asks... Right, so some of these are going to go over ground that we've already covered tonight. So apologies for the people that asked the questions. We'll respond differently. But, we'll respond, but we, I want to wrap some of them up relatively quickly. None more so than this one. No, no, we're, we're going T. all night. Yeah, we're going to elaborate on this now. Do, well, if you want. My father-in-law's home looking after the kids. So. Do you think British boxing has better drug testing than the US? If no, would it be easier to cheat in the US? I think I don't think you can take no. out I, I, I'm, put, there, I'm putting it out there, out. right? The way Varda are catching everybody. Like... UK anti-doping might catch someone, I don't know, who, who, you know, it'll be someone, some northern guy, middle ranking, fighting on a small hall show somewhere, right? Varda caught Povetkin, Varda caught Brown, Varda caught Lewis Ortiz, Varda have caught everyone. You don't want to be in America and be under Varda's auspices because they're coming for you. Because remember, they're under got, the clean boxing program. I think, uh, you know, sometimes I think Varda just like guerrilla operations. Just out of, <laughs> out of interest, is AJ, um, I mean, he's not signed up to the clean boxing program. Oh, isn't he? But he's That's not, weird. but he is under Varda testing. 
Is he? Yes. But there's a difference between VADA testing and, and the clean boxing process. Oh, and what were those tests? What were those differences? Oh, don't ask me what the difference are. So, so, clean boxing, I know there's a difference. So, so when you're under the clean boxing program, you can be tested anytime, anywhere in a 12-month period. There's also the VADA testing, which says the fight's been signed between the fight signing and the fight ending. You can test at any time. Do you see what I mean? So that's the difference. So, so clean boxing is just like athletics. Anytime. Like, so, so back to the question: yeah. Is it easier to cheat in the US? No. Well, well, it depends what drug agency you're signed up to, presumably. Oh, so, yeah. let me say, in the small hall stuff over here in the UK, nobody gets tested. Nobody, and the only times there's an exception to that is when they're basically like you kind of given a heads up that Fighter X over there is ninety nine percent certain to fail a drugs test. And then they might turn up at a small hall show, test that person and leave. They don't <laughs> test like the entire card. So nobody is getting drug tested out of the small hall scene. And, 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 and I know Martin will disagree with it. It's why I think the small hall scene is probably dirtier. No, I'm not going to disagree. Uh, because, I'm, I'm because, not saying yeah. that I know it is or it isn't, yeah. but there's more scope to be dirty. Because I look at a lot of those guys and I'm like, I'm not buying the physique i'm not buying the effort level considering you can't do this full time because you've got bills to pay and then i start to go how hard is it because look all i really need right is probably a couple of hundred quid a quarter i get my i get my test enthanate maybe get a bit of trembolone because you know you, you like to harden up for the for the camera after you've won get a bit of growth hormone for your running repairs you might get epo or, or a stimulant right that's really all you need to get through camp, and that's probably a couple hundred quid a quarter. I mean, you know, you could get sponsored for that. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there are guys out there that can get you that sponsorship. But it's it's risky. If we go back to, if someone said to me, "Are you more scared of UK anti-doping, USADA or VADA?" I'm more scared of VADA because Victor Conti knows the game. Like I think, I think UK anti-doping just kind of play at this. I think USADA kind of play at this. I think Victor Conti really goes after people because deep down he's bitter, isn't he? He got exposed. Victor Conti is a turncoat, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's there. Like, why do you not get to be happy doping when look at me, my life's ruined. Yeah, and so they they go after everyone, and because Victor Conti's involved in boxing, he hears stuff. So you imagine that there's information sharing that happens. But if someone said to me I had to be under the auspices of one of those guys or even Wada. Vada are the ones I'd be most scared of because it seems like they have the more advanced tests, they're more progressive in finding these tests, and they're more progressive in gathering intelligence. I just wanted to give a quick chat. I forgot from last night. Um, Paul Altai. That box clever Mark Coomba, um, one of our listeners and somebody who interact with a lot. Had a quick chat with him last night for uh, 10 minutes or so pre-show. Um, really nice bloke. Enjoyed the show, I hope. Um, I sat with Leon McKenzie last night, who came and sat for the main event with us, um, who's working on his 10 count documentary, which is looking at mental health, not just within boxing, but within sport, uh, hoping it's uh, debuting on Netflix later this year is the plan. Good luck to the guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, top guy is Leon as well. Yeah, like, got, got, got one of the young McKenzie lads in our gym now. I don't think he's got the McKenzie surname, but he's definitely a part of the McKenzie clan. Okay. Young Ellis. Wow. Good. Wow. I see 15 is about 50 kilos at the moment. Just a joy to watch. Like great kid. And 
if he does decide to take it all the way, then the family heritage is in a if really good place. If he has the place. work rate of Leon, like as a person, then uh, you yeah. know he's in a good place. I just like, you come in every Tuesday, every Thursday, and he's in there, he's sparring, he's training, he listens, and you know when you know when you just go, potential's limitless. So. So, no, no, good to see the McKenzie legacy is still moving down the chain. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, just before we move on again, was uh, caught up with Isaac Chamberlain last night. He was down there. Um, so, oh, yeah. managed to get 10 minutes, just stood around chatting with him. Um, and there's a lot of changes going on in Isaac's camp from the back of the Akoli fight. Um, so, I just want to say there's also an awful lot of cunts out there. So, that's <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. And those people know who they are. And I'm sure Isaac knows who I'm talking about. Um, yeah. You know, there's an awful lot of stuff, but you know, good luck to Isaac. I hope his his recovery is going well. Well, wow. because if he if he puts that out there, it'll be really really interesting. Because I think that story would blow. It'll blow a lid through definitely through London boxing, where you'd be like, oh, okay, because it's stuff that we talk about all the time. And I know boxers listen to this. You know, you shout out to all you young boxers on the way up listening to this. Part of what we'd like to do here is stop you guys falling into the pitfalls that those before you have fallen into like My, well um, there, there are scumbags in the sport there yeah. are people that do terrible things to people that don't deserve it yeah. so the person that deserves to take the most money out of a fight is the guy that steps between those those ropes and gets hit and there are people that should have a vested interest in that fighter that instead of looking after their best wishes are as soon as the the paychecks come in they're creaming off the top, the bottom, somewhere in the middle, whatever it is. And they're not giving those lads every penny that they deserve. And they're creating expense line items that don't exist. So, look, I'm not I'm not going to elaborate on it because it's not my place yeah. to do so. But all I would say is if you're a young fighter listening to this, as Terry says, hopefully we've got some, speak with Isaac. Just to avoid any pitfalls that Isaac may have had, Speak with Isaac. Or or speak to someone you trust that's not connected with what you do. I always say, and I, I say this to the young boxers I talk to, find someone who's not really in the sport but is in the sport and have them as a sounding board. Like, I, it's weird. I've become a sounding board to boxers I never thought I'd be a sounding board to simply because my name spreads because people go, actually, you know what? This guy's happy doing what he does. He doesn't need the money. He's cool talk to him i get i get boxers message me that i, I keep completely anonymous not just box other people involved in the sport the same reason that yeah. some people just either want to know what someone is like and keep it quiet or they want to flush out other areas yeah uh, and and you should because you'll be surprised at the information like i, I look like I, I sit there and talk to some of the old school boxers like keith bristol and stuff like that just listening to those guys dennis andrews and so forth just the stuff you realise was going on then that's still going on now. But it's because boxers don't share knowledge. You know, people take the view like a Frank Bruno, oh, well, he, he's past it. But if you're a young boxer, you could get two hours of Frank just talking boxing. Man, I imagine that would be gold dust because they're guys who have been through it at every level. So, And most of the people that they were affected by are probably still loitering in some capacity within the sport today. Yeah. Can I take one last definitive statement on this from me? All you boxers, look at who's training you. If you're under 25 years old, these are your learning years. Look at who's training you. Ask yourself, have they taught anyone I respect before? 
do I believe these guys can teach me what I need to know to get to the elite level? Not not to not to not to get on a good win card, and there's no shame in that, but you've got to be looking beyond that. Because even if you don't get beyond that, you'll at least get to a very high level in the small hall scene. If you're training with someone and you're not confident they could turn you into the next Terence Crawford, change your trainer and change your trainer now. Because you don't want to be 30 years old and go, look at all the stuff I didn't learn. John Bailey asks, with more and more fighters missing weight, do major boxing commissions need a joint policy on missing weight and the ability to fight once weight is missed? I, I think that's wishful thinking entirely to expect them to have any sort of joint policy. Because <laughs> well, the nature of America is, it's everything state by state. That, that's, that's the nature of a federal nation state. So you'll never be able to get that unless there was something that happened that was so so bad, maybe a death or something, that they'd have to enact a federal law. But there's no reason it couldn't happen over here. The British board ought to have the regulations over here that says if you're more than X percentage over the fight limit, wait, fight is cancelled. It's not an option for you. It's not an option for you. The fight is off. You just go to Bieber, right? Well, yeah. I mean, And, and that's the risk. Yeah. And I think the board realised that they only retain legitimacy as long as they remain the leading governing body. Yeah. So when you said earlier about Carson Jones missing weight against Ted Cheeseman, that option was on Ted Cheeseman. Do I fight? Do I not fight? The same one that I alluded to earlier, where the, the lad was basically pressured, not pressured into fighting, that's the wrong term, was pressured into making a decision. The decision was ultimately his. You know, if the board took that decision out of his hands, then there's no need for the boxer to be involved in that. It's, it's such a joke. Boxing in that respect is such a fucking joke. You've got the BBBFC, like you said, if if they enact something and they don't like it, you can go to Bieber or whatever. A good island. If you, if you, like, if you were driving on the road and got sp- flashed for a speed ticket and a letter came through from the DVL and you went, well, you know what? I'm not going to pay for that. I'm just going to go to the DVLB or whatever. And you do, then... Like, unless, why, why aren't, unless they've got authority to be the uh, sole... But boxing fans me, have allowed me, this Let to me happen. tell you, a st- I'm going to have to put so many allegedly's around this that it's going to be quite painful. Allegedly, we'll start off with that. A story <laughs> I once heard from somebody very involved in it all. You've got the British Boxing Board of Control. You've got Bieber, two, um, two governing bodies within the UK. Allegedly... <laughs> Bieber, which used to be the Maltese Boxing Commission, um, were uh, helped out financially, allegedly, by um, Eddie Hearn, allegedly, um, to set up. So basically, Hearn had somewhere so that every time he didn't agree with the board, he could say, okay, don't worry. Like, you're not the only ones. I can go off to Bieber. Um so allegedly, some of the money that was set up or used to fund the setup of Bieber and the NBC is some of Hearn's money, allegedly. Um, so that we're not, get, is... we're not getting the Hearn interview. <laughs> so that there is somewhere that he can always use as a okay. If you don't agree with me, I'll go there instead and I'll fund them, and then you lot don't have a job. And I thought of all the of all the sports in the UK that would need some sort of government. You know what? This is the commission that, that is the only commission that is legal to sanction fights. So this would be the sport so, that requires. So I, yeah, but then I, you I, just go underground. I, I, you I, you I, drive I, the sport underground if you if you 
<laughs> this is part of the problem. I, I tell you well, what. At least it's not. At least they can't hide behind legitimacy. Look, no, I agree. Look, if, if you gave a government a list of things to investigate in boxing, it would be like three or four years to even got to what it is because you've got to look at how dirty it is. I, I'd honestly love it if GCHQ were intercepting all the communications between the promoters <laughs> and they had a final. Do you know what? No, no. I don't know if anyone listens in Russia, but if fancy bears fancy hacking into UK boxing, I would absolutely love that. We'll help you out. We'll provide you some email addresses. If we need to, yeah. Because you don't realise how dirty this sport is. And you know when I talk about stuff like doping and people go, Terry talks out of his ass. Not just Look, about doping. I've, <laughs> no, no, no. But I've, I've, I've had female amateur boxers, not necessarily from this country, ring me and go, I think I might have fucked up. Ah, oh, damn. Ah. Don't worry, Martin swore earlier. He said the C-bomb. So oh, I did actually. actually. But that was with very good reason if oh. you knew the backstory. But but essentially, just going, I might have taken the wrong thing. And we talked it through and had done. Testosterone, testosterone enthanate. Dangerous thing for women to take. And so when, when you see that sort of thing happening and you start to just work your way through the sport and you're like, this is happening absolutely everywhere. Um, promoters and managers telling fighters different numbers to what's actually been offered. Yep. To the point where you know, you're having conversations going, I, I don't imagine, from what I know about that level of fighting, I don't imagine that's a number that would have even been suggested because, you know, there's, there's a degree of honour within the sport and, you know, you, you would never do that. So if you went through all of that and then you went down a level and went, let's investigate the involvement of known organised crime figures in the sport. Wow. At this point here, you'd probably just ban boxing You'd keep amateur boxing, you just ban professional boxing. You say, you know what? This can't work. This isn't a sport. This is an extortion racket. And that's essentially what it is. It's an extortion racket. When you find out what some of the people earn to I, step in the ring. I just think when it comes to like I accept I accept the notion that you drive it underground. That's the same with anything, right? Um there is there's there is schools of thought that would make from a non-boxing perspective but to make recreational drugs legal so that you're able to you're able to you know actually put structures in place and etc etc but without going down that road what i'm trying to say is if you if you made bbbfc the only legal place to be able to sanction boxing matches yes you drive a certain percentage of it underground but you couldn't have people like eddie hearn allegedly or Betty Byrne <laughs> going to alternatives because he couldn't he well, couldn't run a massive show no, no, that was no, televised. No, no, no. So, 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 see, Bieber kind of masks the reality of it. What happened was the EU said no one entity in one country should be able to provide governing body services. Like there was a monopoly in a country, so they said actually under the freedom of movement or, well, sorry, the common market. I should have said there should be competition. So. The Irish boys should be able to have fights in the UK, like the British boys should be able to have fights in the UK. It's a gentleman's agreement that prevents that from happening, apart from Bieber, who Bieber was set up in this country under. You know, I mean, they claim the Maltese thing because there's no governing body, and in they Malta. were based. There is. There's the NBA, but that's Maltese recent. Box. No, it isn't. Was that the original one? Yep. So how? Well, could, I don't know if it was the original one, but it's been around a long mm. time. Because that's what I thought. I thought it was just right if we just pick Malta. No, no, the NBA exists, Salah. Wowzers. 
But yeah, no, I mean that's that's why it's there. Is that you're allowed to have more than one governing body? You're right. Like unless it's governance, unless the government say you're only allowed the single one, and it comes from there. <laughs> I mean, in six months' time, we should be out of Europe anyway. So, well, like, well, is, <laughs> well, no, I might be wrong on this, but isn't it that if the government said we are the agency that regulates boxing? then there's no EU issues because you can't enforce market conditions on what the government do, apart from like state. Yeah, I believe I, it's probably but, not something yeah. the EU would be that asked about yeah. getting involved in. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not a priority Because issue. all you'd have to do, I've, I've been, I think I've said this on podcasts numerous times, right? You just say no combat sports can happen outside the auspices of XYZ, right? And you'll get rid of these underground fights, kind of like at least we've driven dogfighting to such a position that it rarely happens compared to how it used to in the 80s because, you know, we've had enforcement action against that. You could do that. And what that would do for me is it would simplify everything and it would enable us to actually have some quality. So if you had one governing body that could license in this country, yeah. one only, half these suckers wouldn't get licenses. Do you know, half of these suckers wouldn't get licenses and we wouldn't have to watch some of the dross that we watch solve the problem in a heartbeat. The reason we have these guys getting them is that they could get it from somewhere else and fight. You shut that avenue down and all of a sudden you've got a board that can say, do you know what? You're not just going to come in off the street having had a few fights with bouncers and get a license. The, uh, maybe, maybe not. Because the problem would be that you would end up drying up the promoters. And some of those, um, the lads you're talking about will typically appear on small, they're not going to be Eddie Hearn fighters, right? And so the board are predominantly funded by Hearn and Warren. Like, make no mistake about that, because they're pay they've got the biggest shows, they make the biggest income, they pay a percentage of that as board fees. But they're still getting some income off of the lower level lads. Those lower level lads would dry up if you took away the ability to license all of these fighters. Who, as you say, like they may not have any rights, some of them, stepping into a professional boxing ring. If they weren't there, there's a good chance perhaps some of the smaller promoters wouldn't be there. Like they wouldn't have but, the lads. So therefore you dry up your own funding. We run the risk of judging the future by the present. I think the one thing we've learned is when you change the rules, you normally change behavior. So if you suddenly had fewer fighters, you'd solve one problem, which is, you know, how do you drive the standard up? Have, have fewer guys, but better guys. So Steve doesn't have to do 20 fights in an afternoon. Now you can do 10. But of those 10, you know what you're going to get. And it's going to be a pretty good standard if the board do their job. I think that's what you start to get. You get a quality filter come in as opposed to that guy can just sell 300 tickets. But to be fair, he's got no arms. But just because they're quality... I mean, Sam Smith versus Kirk Garvey was going on at the... Um, Camden Centre. Camden, no, it wasn't the Camden Centre. It was somewhere else in London. The Troxy, maybe? Uh, last night on a British Warriors show. And from the pictures that I saw, there was hardly anybody there. Now, those two are quality fighters. Kirk Garvey was a quality amateur turned over he's a decent pro sam avoided smith. avoided as yeah. said on the podcast yeah yeah no it's true yeah. uh sam smith good fighter so let's not ignore the impact of that on kurt's ability to sell if you won't give kurt, if, you, if he can't get the fights he can't sell the tickets if you see what i mean yes but, and no if well, he was that good he ought to be bringing along well you the, know people would flock to see him if he was that good which well, he is well, good. Well, well how do you know if if one promoter's locked down everyone at 175 that he should be running through, and he's like, actually, we're not fighting Kirk because Kirk's really good. But then he ought to get a better manager, well, man. Well, 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 
it was said on this podcast, if you remember. It was, 100%. Yeah. This and, is and where then, having a good manager pays yeah. off. But but then what ends up happening is you say Kirk doesn't sell tickets. It's like, well, Kirk, you're giving me this fight at the Tollworth Leisure Center. Mate, I know how good you are. I'll come when you're fighting. I'll pick a name, Joel McIntyre, right? But if Joel McIntyre's manager's like, <laughs> hell no. Now, he could sell tickets, but he can't sell tickets for an ABA champion, a guy who could have been an international rep at a competition fighting suckers who stack shelves in Tesco's. And and I, and I think that's one of the things that's forgotten in the equation. Are you really going to buy? Yeah, I'm not buying Anthony Joshua fighting. I don't even know. who, who Who's a big guy that floats around? Uh, Adam Dickinson. Is that the guy? The guy from Liverpool. Um, I'm not going to pay to watch Joshua fight that guy because it's like, well, come on, man better things to do with my time but you give me joshua versus wild i'll pay money that doesn't mean joshua's not a ticket seller because in the right scenario he is but 100 this is probably it resonates yeah. back to something you said earlier get the right people around you yeah no no that bit i agree with um okay kev morrow asks what makes a fighter a fan favorite we have some really talented fighters such as selby degale and flanagan who struggle to tell sell tickets good timing and others <laughs> far less talented who sell out <sighs> lee selby hasn't entertained me in a fight in the past three four fights probably if not longer i'm trying to think the last time I, I finished watching a lee selby fight and thought eric i hunter. really enjoyed it hmm. i really enjoyed it was it eric hunter eric hunter probably yeah um, now that's no disrespect to Lee Selby because he's a fantastic boxer but you always sit there going like you're dominating somebody who's not as good as you and that to me is like it becomes quite painful at that point if you're dominating somebody who's not as good as you but you're not putting your foot down to try and end a fight I'm not that interested and so like you're going to lose a lot of fan interest I was there you could um, label that a Billy Joe Saunders can't you yeah I mean lots of fighters I could label it at it was on the Eubank Abraham undercard, Lee Selby. I can't remember who was fighting. It's the one where his mum died during the week. So it's maybe an unfair um, unfair example. But he beat this lad from pillar to post for 12 rounds. And at no point did I think there's going to be a stoppage here. <laughs> and so why as a fan would I be invested in yeah. watching a fighter that is far better than the majority of his opponents, but I'm not at risk of seeing somebody getting knocked out, which is what we all want. And at the end of the day, we don't want to see people hurt. We want to see people knocked out. And or at least a, a war. where and, At the end of it, you're like, yeah. wow, a 50, who has 50, won? A 50-50, like a close fight, where it doesn't end in a stoppage, perfectly fine. A fight that ends in a, a brutal knockout is fine. A fight that's one-sided domination and there's no risk of that knockout, I'm like, I can and only stand see... in the ring holding both boxers' arms and, you know, I know it's going to be 121. I, I can see maybe one or two of them, <laughs> but when you're starting to become renowned in your career for that, Billy Joe Saunders, Lee Selby, then don't expect fans to invest heavily into your career. But also, I think there's a cycle to being a ticket seller, isn't there? So there's that bit where you're about to turn over and you build up a, a groundswell of interest. Yeah. And so for those first four or five fights, you'll sell tickets. Then there's a point where people are now like, what am I really coming for? I'll kind of support this guy. He's fighting Lithuanians. He's fighting Bulgarians. He's fighting, basically he's fighting trash. Yeah, I'm coming all the way from Staines or I'm coming all the way from Cambridge to watch this. It's a waste of my time. Yeah, Weekends are sacred. Got to go, go to Ikea on Sunday with my wife and all this sort of stuff, right? And I'm paying 60 quid for the privilege. So between five and probably about 15, 
there's not that much interesting happening in a boxer's life unless they're being fast-tracked like Josh Kelly. Wow. Um, and then from 15 onwards, you're hoping for progression fights. And then that's when you start buying tickets again. And so for promoters, the challenge is how do you keep the interest going from the first fight till that fight where you're like, okay, this guy's on the path for maybe English, British, Commonwealth sort of level titles. And I don't think anyone's really cracked that. Like you can, that initial buzz works, then it flattens off and then it picks up again. Look, that's why every boxer's real aim is to get to a certain point and they go, right, I'm a TV fighter now. Less pressure to sell tickets. It's someone else's problem. But guys like Billy Joe, you know, he gave us a Lemieux performance. Will he be like that against Murray? And if he is, will he take him out? Because that's what we want to see now with Billy Joe. We've seen him dominate someone, make him look silly. Now we need to see him take someone out. You yeah, know, I want to. I want to see him fight a really good boxer, like like Andy, made... the Andy Lee fight was good. Mm. Uh, Andy would disagree with that because yeah. we were there and it dropped him twice early doors and then and just, just shut, shut up shop. Yeah, for um, like the entire the rest of the fight. Don't get me wrong, there's a skill set in doing that. And yeah. I, I didn't mind watching it. I thought it was all right. But by the 10th round, you were like, come on, let's take one more I, risk. I know what's going to happen these yeah. next three rounds. Let's so take come a risk. Out of your arms up. And don't get me wrong, like he's the one who's taking the punches, not me. I don't have the right to be saying take a risk. But you do because you're buying the ticket. No, I got it for free, mate. It was a Warren show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, because yeah, we're I, mates, you just sent them to me. I don't buy into that whole. I'm not uh, the right to like. If you, you're trying to sell me entertainment, and I have the right to moan about the fact that I feel like I've been conned, yeah. just as equally as I have the right to not buy a ticket again yeah. for your yeah. for your show. If you consume a product, and then yeah. you end up with a show with Billy Joe Saunders and James DeGale headlining it that doesn't sell out the copper box because. You know, James DeGale flew off to America and lived out half his career over there, out of the spotlight. That's very difficult for us as British fans to get invested in. Not only that, but he didn't put himself on the line. We were still there going, your best fight ever was George Groves. Whereas with Groves... Uh, Maybe Badu Jack, we'll give him... Yeah. That was a hell of a fight. Yeah, but Groves had done that before. No, but you look at someone like George Groves, you know what you're getting with George. You're like, actually, you know what? If you ignore losses for now, George has put himself in yeah. harm's way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I, think, I, think, risks. I think deep down, that's what we respect as British fans. Yeah. You put yourself in harm's way. It's why if Froch came back now, he'd sell out. Because we're like, you put yourself in harm's way. We don't feel Billy Joe's put himself in harm's way. No. And it may not be his fault, to be fair to him. Yeah. Joshua has put himself in harm's way. We'll give him his due. He did it with Dillian White. He did it with Vladimir Klitschko. Give Joshua his due. He's put himself in harm's way, as has Tyson Fury. So I think there's a correlation between boxers who put themselves in harm's way and their ability to move units. It's just... It, when you see a boxer come in, and he, come in and he just totally outguns his opponent, it's like trying to create a sport between, in one corner, a tank, and the other corner, a little girl. And it's like, who wants to see this? Well, no, I don't really want to see that at all. Two tanks? Yeah. I, you know that's O'Hara Davis's nickname, right? What's that? Two tanks. Oh, not the little girl. Okay, no. <laughs> That'd be an interesting nickname for a boxer. I mean, I'm a little bit worried where this conversation could now go, so... <laughs> That's let's, just you and your mum. Let's escape. Um, but, his second question, Kevin Morris' second question was, who would you put in with Tyson Fury next? Uh, Takam. I've mentioned him for about half hour. Brazil. Andy Scott says, asks, do you think... Again? Any, yeah, but you feel free to, again to sort of like 
Um, just nod, a tokenistic nod to this question. No. Do any no, of you... we respect Andy Scott. <laughs> you, yeah, we like him. And he's taller than us. Canelo has deliberately taken Clembiero to gain advantage and if it has come from something else, is a lack of intent enough of an excuse for him to not be banned? Well, doping is strict liability. If it's in your body, you're responsible for it ending up in your body. In the same way Dillian White ended up... And Dillian White is one of the few cases I have a real sympathy for. In the, the Jack 3D that he took, got it off the shelf, by all intents and purposes, didn't realise that there was stuff in there that's on the banned list, ended up getting done for like two years, made an example of. I have a real sympathy for that because I don't think there was necessarily the intent. It was probably just the um, the the same product he'd been taking, I'd guess, for, for a long time. I don't know. Uh, and then they added it to the list. So, so, in the two-year ban, it's absolutely shocking. Yeah, yeah. So I have a real, real sympathy for that because at the time, nobody knew Dillian White either. So it's not like he was on these matchroom cards. He was on small hall cards. He didn't have a huge budget. There was none of that. I have a sympathy for that. Um, but, you know, his it was still in his body. So he's got to take responsibility for that. Um, it's a, it's an athlete's responsibility to know what's on the ban list. Um, so the tennis player, was it Sharapova? Um that had whatever it was Maldonium. in her system. Yeah, that's right. And she was it was a new addition to the band list and her and her coaching team said like, oh, we just didn't know kind of thing. Like it wasn't out of our system in time. Again, it's her responsibility to know that. All tennis players, for instance, get sent the um the band mm. list once a year with the updates on it. Boxers should be on top of what is and isn't allowed in your system. So if he's irrespective of it, it's in his system there is no um, no sympathy yeah. for my end. And then, look, and I'm with the cyclist Grant Jones. They should also get rid of these therapeutic use exemptions. You know, if you've got asthma and it means that you need to take something for you to compete, then no, just don't compete. Simple. Don't compete. If, if you've got low testosterone, I think it was Lamont Peterson who had the, the therapeutic use exemption for testosterone, don't compete. Like, this, the sport's not going to die without you, my friend. Do you know what I mean? It's going to carry on without you. Because, like we always say, the asthmatics, asthmatics at school were never any good at sports day. Yeah, no, I want I want children that are asthmatics. I hope they grow up to be asthmatics because there's be a fair champion. chance they will become world champion at something by the yeah. looks of or, it. Or, you know, not, not to wish ill, heart condition, blood pressure, yeah, all yeah. those things. They're all successful sports people. Yeah. Success indicators. <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> like, like, you, know, you know, we should sack all of our doctors for lying to us for years. <laughs> These are bad things. Yeah. These are incredible the things. Odd, You're like Superman. If, if, were I an athlete who was within a range above these therapeutic use exemptions, I'd be thinking to myself, hold on a minute, who draws this line as to where the low mark is and why can't we look to the top of the sport to Testy McTesterson, who's got a natural level that is far in excess of anyone else, and all be well, brought up to that well, no, 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 but they do, though. So, so, so your hematocrit level, I think it's like 49 units per volume, whatever it is, that's determined on no human being can possibly have more than this. We, we have no record of a human being having more than this. Therefore, this is, and then it was probably like it's probably 46. So, 49 is we're going to give you a bit of leeway to shoot over, right, okay? With the, with the level of testosterone as well, I think it's like 1300 nanograms per deciliter, right? That's, but that's lot, as high but in, as it in, gets. In layman's terms, you're saying, like, it, like, for example, let's just use, let's just yeah. use, um, testosterone random numbers, yeah. So, like, so if the, the maximum they've ever recorded a human at is 45, yeah. they put the limit at 50, yeah. and then. And then um, to be 
hematically the hematocrit so, so presumably then like to trigger a false reading you're at 60 or something or you're right? 51 right okay so at 51 you trigger a false reading and they're saying no 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 that that can't be natural or if you say actually it's naturally occurring you can go for tests can I finish it? this on the quote no, from Chael Sonnen, the UFC fighter, the one I sent to you boys the other day, where he said, my phone rings, they call me up and say, Chael, your testosterone level's too high. I said, well, hi- how high is it? They said, 0.7. I asked them what's normal, and they said 0.6. I said, one-tenth. You're telling me I'm one-tenth higher than the average man. Retest that. You must have caught me on a low day. <laughs> <laughs> But but it, but it goes to the point where <laughs> so there'll be science behind the thresholds that they have. And remember we said this, I think I said this in a previous podcast. There's a gene, I was going to say UGZ776, but I'm making that up. No, it's 774. But 80% of Asian people, so people from the Far East, have this gene. And what it means is the metabolites they secrete do not, like they never trigger a drugs test. So you're there, like Vada could go to China and test everyone. And eight out of 10 people who are doping will just walk through that test. For so specific drugs, presumably. Everything. They, it seems that they don't pop for anything. Because something in the kidneys waters down the metabolites. And they don't even know where they go. But it doesn't come out in the urine. So, so, so all you'd have to do is test for that, right? And turn those kids into athletes. And just dope this shit caught myself dope the life out of them and see where you end up but yeah so 80 percent of people from the far east i think it's like 10 percent of people from africa that's like a goal line clearance it's like it's too old you're 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 i feel like i'm winning on away goals given i use the worst word (laughs) uh right john bailey asks will we see um anyone worth keeping an eye an eye on turnover from the commonwealth games who should we be looking out for? Will Steve Goodwin have any representation watching at the games? I'll yeah. answer the second part of that very quickly. No, he won't. Um, Open reason door being, policy. People come to him. He doesn't go to them. Exactly that. He doesn't uh, approach fighters. He's always left it. The fighters approach him. So they don't go and scout uh, amateur shows or amateur uh, events like that. Uh, I have no idea who's in the squads, to be honest with you. So I'm just going to I'm gonna speculate based on what I know. Um, super heavy I imagine Fraser Clark will go if he's fit uh, Fraser Clark wants to go to Tokyo in 2020 so I don't think he would turn over unless it turns out that the, the lad that's beneath him in the rankings Solomon is actually really really good and then in that case he would turn over um, at 91 you've got Siobhan Clark would he turn over nah he's he's marking out to 2020 as well don't ask me who they got at 81. No idea. 75, you've got the kid Ben Whitaker, who I think's class. Hopefully he won the gold medal today, but I haven't seen any updates on that. But he's, if you're going to watch the boxing, it's worth watching Ben Whitaker at 75 kilograms. So middleweight, um, t- lanky, rangy, skillful mover. He's got elements of the Cuban style to him, which I'm surprised GB have let him keep, but he's good. And then you move down, and I think. You've got kind of guys like the McCormack brothers. Would they turn over? They've been in the system so long. They could do, but I imagine they're aiming for the next Olympics as well. So I think people have realized it's better to turn over after the Olympics than it is to turn over after the Commonwealth Games. I think Josh Taylor turned over after the Commonwealth Games and he kind of disappeared into the the mix. So yeah, so it's better to be an Olympian than it is to be a Commonwealth Games athlete. 
uh, in terms of the women, anyone to get excited about. Elena Murphy's doing it again. She's a real veteran of the amateur scene. Um, worth watching. She's class. Um, hoping the Irish girls are there. So Kelly Harrington, Dervla Duffy and those sorts of ladies. So there'll be some good fights to watch at the Commonwealth Games, but there's no one who's really outstanding apart from as a technician, Ben Whitaker. But I wouldn't want him to go pro just yet. He's a young man. Mayor Brixton asks, uh, what do you think about Goodwin signing Junior Saba? Uh, what level can you see him reaching? The guy hasn't fought since he was a kid. Um, let me take a step back. So I've known young Otto for years now. Um, you go you go back to like 2012 when he was just a young guy with dreams. Uh, super skilled, really, really good technician, really gets boxing. But don't forget, he's been training. Well, he started training with his uncle Tunde, Tunde Ajayi, from probably the age of eight. And they've had a real thing, especially in the last few years, of just everything Floyd Mayweather does, he does. So that was his whole ethos of hit, don't get hit. So he was a good boxer. Boxed Jack Bateson in the schoolboys when they were 13. I think Bateson won that. And then, you know, Jack went on to become a GB boxer and so forth. Was unlucky not to make the Olympics, actually. And now he's turned pro. I think he's fighting on his dad's shows. And so, you know, while Jack Bateson was doing great things, Otu was out there sparring, learning. His aim was really to be a pro, kind of like Devin Haney, like a 17-year-old pro. His life hasn't worked out that way. We had him at our gym for a while. Nice guy, kept himself to himself. And I think, and I know Rob Rob sees him at Miguel's and lot. You have to separate the myth from the fighter. The myth is absolutely brilliant. And in bringing him out like they did last night, what you're doing is you're getting fans bought into the myth, right? The fighter's a guy who we haven't seen box for years. We've never seen box as an adult. So you can blitz people away. You can blitz mediocre sparring partners in the Mayweather gym away. What are you going to do when you're up against some grizzled old journeyman who's not going to fall over, you know? And then you suddenly realize, actually, I haven't fought for ages. I'm not going to judge where he ends up for a couple of years because I want him to get, we talk about this all the time, it's the reps for me. Like when people say, why do I love guys who have fought in the amateurs 50 times? For me, that's 50 reps. 50 times you've had your hands wrapped. 50 times you had to walk out in front of a crowd. 50 times you've had to deliver when the lights are on. So psychologically, it puts you in a different place to someone who's sparred well, if you see what I mean, because sparring is behind closed doors. He's got all the talent because he's what, 22, 23 now? Yep. He's got all the talent to be someone special in UK boxing. He's still in his learning phase. So if he's with the right trainer, he can do amazing things. But he could also not do anything in the sport. He's at that point where we, the next six months will determine how far he goes. I want him to go all the way because he's a great talent and you know, visually... He looks good. I'd like to see him stop more people and be a bit nastier, but that might come with time. So let's let's look at where he is in two years. I think two years is a fair window to judge him. So let me give someone like Andy, for instance, the uh, the context on this. So Junior Saba was the probably the most hyped amateur. I'm guessing in years. Like, you'd have to be an amateur though. Well, he was an amateur when he was 13. Right. So what I'm going back to is like the the Prospect. hype around yeah, that kid yeah, was. Yeah. Absolutely ridiculously huge to the point where uh, Dean Richardson, who's a boxer, messaged yesterday saying about when Junior was an amateur, 
people used to sell his signed gloves. Like people used to actually sell them on. Um, and so Junior ended up, he was signed initially. To Dean buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they didn't sell him one at all. Maybe just Dean got mugged by <laughs> Everyone was buying them, mate. No, they weren't, Dean. <laughs> weren't they? <sighs> um, so he ended up, as Terry said, he went out with um, the Mayweather gym. He was actually signed to make his professional debut on a Floyd Mayweather undercard. Young British kid. Uh, and was then, it, was, I was going to say, was, was it the Pacquiao fight? I'm not sure which one it was. It may well have been. It might be the Pacquiao fight or it's the one he fought. Who did he fight the May previous? It was definitely Cinco de Mayo weekend. Um, for whatever reason, I never came through. Now, there have been um, well documented in places um, issues around brain scans and things that have stopped him from being able to make that step. Perhaps I'm actually due to speak with Junior uh, this week. And so... I'll find out a bit more about it. Because, I mean, it's all a little bit of a... As Terry says, it's a myth, almost. Like, it's a name that people know without necessarily knowing why you know it. Um, and so to find... Oh, Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu, <laughs> it's exactly that. So Freddie Adu could have gone on to become the next Maradona, the next Pele. As it happens, he's probably playing the Portuguese fifth division somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for Junior Saba, he could go on to become the next Anthony Joshua. He could end up you know, being a journeyman somewhere in Good. six years' time. But I'll find out more about him when I speak to him this week because I know they've put a lot of, of effort into getting this over the line. I know there are people that are interested in getting him out onto big shows um, because there's a story behind him. And if he's as talented as he was as a kid, then we can expect huge things out of him. But let's give him the time, hopefully, and we'll just see how he develops. So my the thing I always remember was... I almost call it the wilderness period he had when the Mayweather thing kind of crashed and burned and then it dawned on him that that was as good as it might get for him. And you'd see him about and he wasn't boxing anymore. He wasn't training. He put on a load of weight. And I can remember the last thing I said to him before he started coming back was, don't get to 30 and be telling kids what you were doing as a 17-year-old. You're too talented for that. That's what I said to him. I said, you don't want to be 30 years old telling the youngsters that at 17, you're in the Mayweather gym beating people up because then they'll just say to you, what did you do for the rest of your life? So make sure you rediscover your love for the sport because this is what will define you. And then one day he just came, when I was a double jab, he just came in to train and we're like, you know what? Find your space, find your level, get involved when you can, but welcome. Yeah. He, if he can tap into that talent that he had growing up, then... We can expect huge things out of it. We shall see. Uh, Joey asks, I've got a question to follow up on. Um... Also, actually, on, on, a, on a Miguel's note, big shout out to Isaac Dogbo. No one talks about this kid enough. A British boxer who's a legitimate threat in his weight division. Hard as nails, mentally strong, great boxer. Um, I think he's the interim super bantamweight champion. So he's 122 pounds. No one in this country wanted it with him. No one wants it with him because tough man, and he will he'll take your life in the, no no sorry that's not he'll take your soul in the ring. Andy, Joey where's asks, your PlayStation? Just had a look, mate. Where's your PlayStation? You at my home. Out? At my home, Terry. Where's your home? Is that where? Did you leave your hat there? Wherever you lay your hat, that's your home. <laughs> did you leave your dick there? From the look in your eyes, you could tell you're going to cry. Was it over me? Jerry asks, I got a question to follow up on. Do you think that it's time again Where's for big TV platforms, <laughs> Sky BT, to start putting shows for small hall promoters? 
I'm very... I'm going to leave this to Martin. I'm very sure that I've seen many Goodwin cards that are better than some of the shit that Sky and BT have put Well, mate, you are lying on that basis, but okay. But Martin Martin loves this one. Nah, look, you all know I've got a small hall bias. No, no, but but I I like... You're going to urinate on whatever my answer is. And I just want the full. I I want the full, because... First of all, I'm absolutely guaranteeing there's been at least one Goodwin card that's been better than some of the shit they've put on Sky and BT. So... It's not even it's let's, not even a subjective right, statement to say let, that. Let's extend it out beyond Steve. Steve's my mate, that's fine, but let's extend it beyond Steve. You've got MTK, you've got British Warriors, you've got Heliot. They're putting on shows up north. You've got um Steffi Ball puts on fantastic shows on uh Doncaster Dome. Look, is it healthy for Sky to only rely upon Eddie Hearn to produce their boxing content? For me, absolutely not. It's almost like they ought to tear it. Um, so you have like a Premier League, which would be the Hearn ones. And then on weeks where Hearn hasn't got anything on, maybe you fill that gap on a Saturday evening with some of the, the lower level ones, if you want to call it that. So the small hall guys. So they wouldn't necessarily have to engage with one. They could have multiple ones. Um, so you could have Steffi Ball, Steve Goodwin, um, various others signed up that, you know, on weeks whereby we don't have Eddie Hearn shows, We'll pay for the production at your show and it'll give boxing fans that actually want to see different levels of boxing, something else to watch. It's relatively cheap content on a Saturday night. Um, I, I would like to see that. I, I think Sky probably rely upon that top level for Hearn and that's fine. I just think they ought to have something that's like a, a gap filler, um, some form of arrangement whereby they can um, put shows on that aren't necessarily Eddie Hearn shows and they do give a, you know, shine a light to other levels because some of the area level fights you'll get, Matt McCarthy versus Billy Bird the other week on the MTK show, um, area level fight and those two lads absolutely smashed the shit out of each other, showed some great bollocks, some good boxing but it was it was a fight that look at the end of the day, someone like Andy, if you'd have tuned into that and seeing these two lads whacking the hell out of each other, gum shields flying, lad takes a knee, gets back at... You would have enjoyed watching that, because it's just two lads that properly wanted to win that fight. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what we want to see, is two yeah. lads equally matched. Um, you know, most going people... for it. Most people sat at home watching Sky Sports. Let's be clear about this. On a Saturday night, they're not boxing aficionados they're not sat breaking down how what he throws a jab or does he overutilize the left hook or he should be hitting to the body more what they want to see is two lads stand and fight that's why uh connor ben versus payno on that small um the next gen show that they had on from york hall um that got so much attention not because it's connor ben but because it's two lads evenly matched punching holes in one another Again, nobody cared that the Conor Ben jab wasn't particularly good. Nobody sat at home watching that would have cared about the technicalities of it. They loved it because it was two lads that really went to war. Most small hall shows maybe have one of those fights. The problem that you've got if you're Sky is how do you... Most small hall shows don't have the majority of good fights. Be blunt about it. A lot of them are fairly poor fights. They're fighter A versus Hungarian B, right? And that's fine because you're building these lads up. You're building their skill set or you're taking them through their career. What you don't want to be doing is televising those fights. But if you could in some way guarantee that like the headline fight is going to be interesting, then I'm sure there would be more interest from TV broadcasters. The risk you've got is if you go and broadcast a small hall show and they all turn out to be stinkers, um, then you, you run a real risk. Okay, so I'm going to be... I want to be Martin Theobald and Terry. Who's going to buy the tickets? 
you're going to have a half empty your call because I'm going to be sat there when it's minus five Which degrees. Which is fine because Sky will be paying you to broadcast the show. So as long as the balance yeah. works out. Yeah, but if, I, if I'm not there, if you see what I mean. Yep. I'm at home and Andy's at home because it's really, really cold. Yeah, yeah. And, Shoot. and quite frankly, wherever my PlayStation is, is where I need to get busy. <laughs> right? Why do you, 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 you're, going, you're going to be watching a half full York Hall potentially. Yeah. I think I think that's the risk, and then yeah, it yeah. doesn't televise well. Remember when? Okay, mem- so mem- th- remember uh, when? Me... Remember when Donut tried this by trying to show us a show from Preston Guildhall? Oh, 100 percent, right? <laughs> and they had to use that blue light to try and convince you that it was full. So there are certain promoters out there that, when they know a show isn't working particularly well, will start handing tickets out to amateur clubs around the place. Look, let's face it, or right? Winners of competitions. Yeah, winners of competitions. What colour is the sky traditionally? All, all promoters do it. The biggest ones do it. Some of the smaller ones do it. I heard in Sheffield, you know, if you were a public sector worker, you got a ticket in your pay packet. Yeah. So look, Kurt for a cow. The the biggest promoters give out free tickets when they know shows aren't selling out because they're putting it on TV. They need it to look good. That's how but, you go about filling them. But place. but so I think my my concern is this: you can't show a Goodwin show as it looks now. So you then increase the production values, right? Um, like, like like Hearn does. So you, okay, look, your call compare a next gen show with a Goodwin show no, visually. No, actually, the Goodwin shows look better than the next gen shows because Steve has those big screens of smoke machines that come up. Sky don't do that. No, no, they I just mean, bring I mean, lads out no, from the back. I just mean the fight in the ring. So when you look at the fight in the ring, I think I've said this before. The Sky show, just in terms of the, I'm going to use this word now. I don't want to. I have to. In terms of the luminosity, the the way the lights are set up, the, all those small things that a well-drilled machine can do. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Dovebox so, used to hire uh, a really good lighting rig above the. Uh, so if you ever watch a Dovebox yeah, show on Facebook, quality. which I used to do, it's amazing. They put some brilliant lighting rigs up, and I know the photographers for Steve shows often complain to him that the lighting isn't good enough around the top. Mm. But look, as you say, that's yeah. an additional cost. So, that, yeah. so 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 what. So a Goodwin show now has a cost X. A Goodwin show that needs to be on Sky has a different cost. Yeah. I don't know who bears that cost. I'm not even discussing that. But then you're looking at a different return. So I think a Steve Goodwin show now, if you show that on a Facebook live stream, no one would complain. You couldn't show that on Sky Sports. And definitely not after we're used to watching Sky Sports shows. But this is the thing. As I said, if Sky said to a Steve, a Steffi Ball, whoever, we'll pay your production costs to get that lighting rig up above the the ring. You know, we'll pay all the production cost and we'll we'll subsidize what a ticket sale amount would have been. Then I'd love to see that. But you're paying 60 grand now. How am I going to make my 60 grand back? Sky subscriptions. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So, so I guess what yeah. I'm trying to say is, and the, the question is probably going, do you know what? I really enjoy small hall shows. Why can't I see them on TV? Yeah. But I think the, actually the reality is... There's not the return. Yeah. And also, it, you you will demand a lot more on your TV. Because look, everyone's watching in HD now. So it increases the expectations. No, no, absolutely. But what I would like to see, if they did that, is the idea of a consortium. Listen, We're losing Andy. We're listen, losing Andy. You lost me about 20 minutes ago. Well, all right, mate. Yeah. Mine's wondering. Just carry on, it? please. Don't draw this out anymore. Do you remember Animal Hospital? I was a fan of Michaela Strachan. <laughs> she was, like, was she on Children's Ward as well? She used to blow my mind. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> 
Right, come on, Andy. Yeah. Next no, question. She was no, no, succinct, no, wait, wait, wait. though, wasn't the, the, she? The point I wanted to make was really. What it, was it? Shut up. <laughs> if you're gonna, if you're gonna take this concept of small hall boxing and take it to Sky, Sky Barry Francis would have to sit down with these guys and go, "We will tell you who's fighting who." Yeah. So you'd have to say, "Look, Mickey, you've got Andre Sterling, MTK guy, you've got Dan Aziz, they're fighting." Yep. You'd have to say, "Um." You've got whoever's got Liam Conroy. You've got Liam Conroy. You've got... Oh, who's another light heavy I can think of? Miles Shinkwin. Yeah, Miles. You're fighting. On these dates, these are the cars we're putting yeah, together. what I was saying earlier about Brad Pools and Taylin Jones. You know, yeah. if Sky could say, right, you two, MTK, Goodwin, put your heads together, work out the money, but that's the date, that's the fight. Yeah. That fight, I guarantee anyone, if that fight gets made, that will be a good fight. Guaranteed. Yeah. And and that's what that that for me the only way the small hall thing works is if you you dispense with these Lithuanian guys and you say actually let's have these fights where there's meaning you know and even get some of the sky guys down so you say look Joshua Bartzi man you and Craig Richards had a thing you you headline this good exposure for both of you yeah that that's the model that the would loan work. system yeah but the the current thing of I mean a whole Steve Goodwin cut I'd be sick into my stomach and that's no shots to Steve. I'm anti most small hall cards, apart from that top four. It's like I know we're going to come onto the hay card. We have to touch on that too. And you look, you you look below the top four in box rec, and it's just dross. The top four, you're like, I'll watch these. The rest, you're like, oh, fucking hell. Come right. on, let's let's fire through. Andy. Kieran Nelson asks: Is there a way to tell it's from a fighter's a fighter's body composition their ability to take a punch? I've heard that fighters with skinny legs are more likely to be chinny. That's based on the the fact that your legs are like your shock absorbers. That's what people work on the theory of. That as you get hit through the, the chin, it goes down through your body. And then if you've got really skinny legs, you're less likely to take the punch if you've got nice thick Dave Allen legs. It's 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 complex. So an example I use is back in probably ninety nine, David Hay boxed in the ABAs against a guy from Coventry called Jim Twite. Jim Twite was nothing as an amateur. He was okay, he was solid, but he wasn't a world changer. Jim Twite at Southpaw hits David. D- David gets hit. He's out. Ref stops the fight. Why? And I remember asking David about this and he said, I'd never been hit like that before. So I didn't know how to go through it. So there's also, there's the first thing, there's a psychological thing of psychologically, what's the threshold I can tolerate of in terms of punching? Because Andy, you could get hit for the first time by someone like a Linus Adolfia. And it's not even that the punch hurt you objectively, but it was such a shock to the system, yeah. your body will shut down. But the next time you get hit with that same punch, your body's like, no, nah, it's it's not so bad now. So there's that element. Then there's a the physical element of, are you strengthening your neck? Are you strengthening your legs? Are you strengthening your core so you can better manage the forces going through? And there's another third, there's a third element. How loose are you? Because it's about kinesis. The looser you are, the more your body will move and the movement can actually help dissipate the shock. Yeah, that makes sense. So actually punch resistance is, it's, a, it's so many variables involved in it. Um, you can't tell by strictly just from observational, observation of phys, look physiology. At, look, look at all the people who've been knocked out and look at all the, I mean, some of the guys with the best chins. It's, it's always surprising, isn't it? Um, Sam O'Reilly asks, how old is that Martin Theobald really? I heard he went to school with Luis Ortiz in the seventies. Giza reckons he's thirty-four. He went or to he, he went to school. Nah, he went to school with Sonny Liston. <laughs> Sam O'Reilly, right? Little shit. <laughs> well, right. Where else wearing this? Giza. 
Right. That's, that's, that's three. No, so I sit next to him for a fucking entire Saturday evening. Let's bear in mind, this man just turned S- 30. Sam's making dreams come true. Just turned 30 years old. He's a white man. And he's sat rapping along to every like latest chart hit that comes on. I'm like, what are you doing? But you, this lad's got kids that are like eight, nine, ten, eleven years old or something. Like, Sam, Sam, you, how many kids has he got? <laughs> I don't know. No. Sam, you're not Jay Z. <laughs> Whoever's cool these days. I'm assuming Jay Z's still the number one rapper in the world, right? Um, I don't know. You're not. I can't. I genuinely haven't got a clue of like who these people are that they play down at your call. But then you got Sam sat there like dabbing. What are you doing? What are you doing? Fucking you sounded like Craig for a second. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing, pal? No, I can't have that. I can't have that at all. Just constantly talking shit. Have we even discussed Mikey Garcia and Lip- Lipnitz? No. no. My, my, Mikey Boxwell, Lipnitz was brave. My father-in-law's like, I'm yeah. my kids. I need to go. Lipnitz was brave. Mikey Garcia did it right. But standard Mikey Garcia fair. Takes no risks that he doesn't have to take. Counters well. Box beautifully going backwards, going forwards. Um, what do you do if you're Mikey Garcia? You just keep floating around the waist looking for fights and looking for money, I guess. I am a little bit tediously um, bored of the Mikey Garcia not cleaning up one weight division. Like, let's see him. There's two routes. One is that he gets all the money that he can out of the biggest fights and names possible. Or one is that he cleans up a weight division, then moves up to the next one, then moves up. At the moment, he's flitting between like lightweight through to welterweight. Like, I just want him to fight Linares just to yeah just, get it out of the way yeah just just kill that hype train um got any more questions or you no done? that's it the questions are over oh wow so you, you can get back other, to what you were doing before you came here any other business have you refilled yet oh what do I do to deserve this whoa <laughs> where do you want us to start <laughs> um any other business big shout out to to James at Ammo got the new gloves the new configuration is incredible. Like they're so tight on the fist now, and the punch response I'm getting back—it's almost like it's almost like the bag talks to me and goes, "No, no, 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 a little more power, Terry." It, the dialogue is incredible. Are I, they I, nearly as good as the A1 fight gear ones? I wouldn't wipe my ass with A1 fight gear gloves. <laughs> Would you not? Nah. Would you not? Would you nah. use the ammo ones for it? Nah, I wouldn't. I'd. <laughs> I would just bow down in front of the ammo gloves. Listen, if you're a boxer out there and you're smashing your hands. <laughs> With these second-rate gloves that you keep having to replace every three months. Honestly, get a pair of ammos, protect your hands, they're your tools. Because, you know, the the ones last year I talked I talked highly of. and But there were some areas to work on and we discussed those. You and didn't then, say that at the time. Well, I, I had to, I, you know, I, I had to do the mileage test. <laughs> you didn't say that. <laughs> but, but, no, no. All right, Terry Hearn. Yes, I was going to say. Selling tomorrow today. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but these versions are good. I, I like them. Um, they, well, well, what would anymore. you reckon you'll say about them in six months' time? Uh, the, the I'd po- imagine there'll be a better model out. Yeah. New and improved. Whereas the ones today were slightly X, but these ones in the six months' time will be no. better. James doesn't uh, ring me anymore. There's nothing that he wants out of me these days. So uh, he doesn't ring still me around. anymore. I, I know how it works. Don't worry, but, James. Uh, oh, look, you start talking A1 fight gear. What did you want him to do? <laughs> you turned your back some, on him. Send me some free gloves. <laughs> That's what I wanted. <laughs> but now, listen, get your gloves, ammos. Look, you replace them a lot. I mean, a lot less than you replace your, your Everlast. I know a lot of guys are hitting with the, the Protex 2s and the Protex 3s. Don't, yeah? Save your knuckles, save your wrists, get these ammos. 
Swear's score count was 3-2 to Martin, so Terry wins, maybe. I mean, that's still relatively low. It's, it's pretty low. Yeah, no, look, you think what we did last week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We Listen, did that in the opening. To all the cabbies, you can play this now, okay? When you've got passengers and stuff, you can play this. <laughs> we should have told them that at the beginning. I think uh, what I'd like to do is do an experiment where a particularly irritating week in boxing and then we say... <laughs> Just now, wait for Bunce to come back. Yeah. Now, I like... I don't Shout know. out to Dev Sarni, by the way, who hosts the uh, Box Nation podcast. Listens to us, I found out. So uh, Does he? Big shout out to Dev. Well, well he's I don't know if he's doing man. that to keep his, uh, maybe listening for his boss, I'm not sure. Um, uh, who knows? Uh, look, we know that the promoters have eyes and ears on everything, right? So who's that guy? His name begins with an A. He's the media guy for Matchroom. Uh, and and uh, Anthony Lever. Anthony Lever, yeah. Yeah. I know you're listening, mate. Yeah. So no, because Dev seems like a genuinely nice geezer as well. The times I've listened to the Box Nation one, he's knowledgeable, he's amusing. Shout out to him, genuinely. Like, I'm not taking the mic. I don't. I listen to a handful of pod. I haven't got time. So once I, once I get to fight talk and beyond the ropes and British boxing blog, I'm kind of done. You know, I got to get my Northern fix. Shout out to British boxing blog. Indeed, got to get that Northern fix. So they're not for me. It's not even cannibalizing. I, look, you got to just like Martin bangs a drum for the small hall guys we got down here. They're doing that for the guys. And they do it very well. Yeah, their guys are good as well. Okay, thank you very much for listening. We're going to move on now uh, to me going to work, is what I'm going to do. All right. That's fun for me. Fair one. Right. London Underground. Oh, okay. (laughs) Is that what you call it? (laughs) (laughs) Going to go and see a London Underground, are you? That's enough. All right. Get in the tunnels. Yeah, Cock Fosters. Watch it.